Cherry Hill Volvo, we have absolutely incredible offers and a plethora of both new and certified Volvos from which to choose. We are eager to offer amazingly competitive prices, plus an additional $1,000 Costco discount on all new Cherry Hill Volvos. When leasing or purchasing a new or certified Cherry Hill Volvo, you become a valued part of our team. Join Cherry Hill Volvo for the pricing and attention you deserve. I am Judith Krepnick, president of Cherry Hill Volvo. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. WPHD, WPHD, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The revolution will be broadcast. Yes. This, this is the next generation of talk. Now, on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, Rich Zioli. Well, the case of uh, 40s Fanny and Nathan Willis is uh, coming to a conclusion as the question of a conflict of interest is about to be decided by the judge. And it's happening live. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here. Happy Friday. We did it. We made it through the week. What a week, huh? And March. Happy March. My favorite month. Uh, yes, yeah, St. Patrick's Day, Daylight Savings Time. We get the extra hour. Whether it ends or begins, I don't care. Don't tell me. It doesn't matter. Every year, somebody sends me a text telling me it's either because I always say the end of Daylight Savings Time or the beginning. I always get it wrong. I don't care. Don't tell me. It doesn't matter. I've been spending the morning today stacking firewood and listening to the case of Fawnies Fanny and Nathan Wade. And um, I've been listening to this case uh, I had my uh, my little headphones on and sacking firewood because I, I, I got a quart of it, a quart of wood, because I got the pizza oven ready to go. And we're in the curing process right now. The official Zioli pizza oven. Let me just say for the record, it's not that expensive to make a pizza oven in your backyard. I still love supporting local pizzerias and we'll always continue to do so. But it is our family hobby. It is our Zioli family hobby to cook together. The family that cooks together stays together. Family that prays together stays together, and we always pray, of course, before we eat. So there you go. Uh, but uh, the the state attorney right now is in the process of arguing that there's no evidence showing a conflict of interest. I thought the attorneys representing Mike Roman, one of Trump's co-defendants, did a great job of laying it all out. And as a reasonable person can conclude that these two lied on the stand, lied about their relationship, and the clinical term, the technical term of when they began knocking boots— and then they started knocking boots prior to Nathan Wade getting the job as the prosecutor, which he never should have got the job because he was completely unqualified to prosecute a RICO case against a former president of the United States on a novel and nonsensical, if you ask me, claim of election interference 
attempting to overturn the election results. He was only hired because he was the girlfriend or the boyfriend, excuse me, of um, of Fannie Willis. But there's other things, too, I got to mention, too. A federal judge has found former CBS Fox reporter Catherine Herridge in civil contempt, finding her $800 a day until she reveals the source of a story that is the subject of a defamation lawsuit. And this judge, as Eli Lake said, should be impeached. You know, this journalist, she has journalism rights, rights in the First Amendment to protect her sources. And it's outrageous what the judge is doing. In addition to that, today we watched as a journalist was arrested by the FBI for his reporting on January 6th. A Blaze journalist was, he turned himself into the FBI today, arrested in the United States of America, arrested because he reported on January 6th. We live in a police state. I've told you this for many years. The United States of America is a police state. Let's not mince words about it. This uh, Department of Justice is completely weaponized. I said this on the show yesterday, and I want to emphasize this point. Could you imagine if when Trump was president, if someone came forward and made an allegation about him and Russian collusion, and then Trump had the FBI arrest that person for lying? Could you imagine the meltdown in the corporate media? Could you imagine the meltdown? There is a man right now who's been arrested by the FBI. He was a confidential human source for 10 years where a part of his assignment was Russia. And he made an allegation that Joe Biden took a bribe and Hunter Biden took a bribe and they arrested the guy for lying about it. How do they know he lied about it? They don't. And the corporate media is cheering this on. Biden's FBI has arrested a man making a claim against the president while the president is going through an impeachment inquiry and his son is going through a federal trial in California. And a guy who made an allegation has been arrested by the weaponized Department of Justice the president's using the FBI like his own personal brute squad. The brute squad. You are the brute squad. And the corporate media is cheering it on. It's outrageous. That is the big story of the day today brought to you by my buddy, by my buddy, Dr. Mike Venaria, VenariaDental.com, V-A-N-A-R-I-A, VenariaDental.com. Steve Baker is a journalist with The Blaze. He's an investigative reporter. He had to turn himself into the FBI today. For his reporting on January 6th, self-surrender over his January 6th reporting. Believe that? We're arresting journalists now in this country, in the United States of America. What did he do wrong? Nothing. He didn't do anything. All he did was report. He reported. And even the uh, his attorney, James Lee Bright, said that withholding the nature of the charges against his client is a really unusual move. They, they haven't even told him the charges. Just he had to turn himself in. We do not know if there'll be pretrial travel restrictions, although that has been the norm for January 6th defendants, even for misdemeanor defendants. It has also been universal that no January 6ers were allowed to travel to Washington, D.C., which for obvious reasons will have a deleterious impact on the work of this man since he's a journalist. We also do not know if there will be any other accompanying restrictions or orders, gag orders, talking about the case, social media, limited social media. And um, and and Bright, the journalist, he told Blaze News he's disturbed about what's been transpiring with with uh, I'm sorry, his attorney said that he's very disturbed about what's been transpiring. He said Baker's been in full compliance all this time. And the federal government for three plus years later going after people who were legitimate functioning journalists that day appears designed to have an absolute chilling effect. I'm not a depressive person, but I'm not happy about this, Baker said to Blaze News. I have prayed, Lord, let this cup pass for me, but apparently it's not going to. 
He, he asked that he uh, he added that when he asked the other attorney, William Shipley, why the federal government is treating him like this. Shipley replied, you know why you have been poking them in the eye for three years. But you know what? You're allowed to poke the government in the eye, particularly if you're a journalist. I mean, every American citizen has the right to poke the government in the eye. Metaphorically, of course, since you can't physically poke the, the government in the eye. Although I think Big Brother, the eye that's watching over all of us. One day it'll just be a big freaking eyeball in the center of the country just overlooking and spying on all of us and people will cheer it on in the name of our safety and for the children. He said unknown charges hanging over his head for years, but after we started working with him, the government sprang back into action. There is no need to put him in a jumpsuit or handcuffs except this humiliation ritual or a show, which appears to be exactly what they are doing. We will be showing the world footage from January 6th. It shows Steve was clearly present that day as an independent journalist. Government retaliation, such as against this journalist, contradicts the very idea of a free press, the purpose of our form of government, and what, and what was once the American way of life. This should not be happening in America. Baker announced in December that the FBI said the U.S. Department of Justice would be charging him for his January 6th reporting, but two days later, the FBI said his self-surrender was postponed until after Christmas. It's been a waiting game ever since. Last month, attorneys representing Baker told Blaze News that the United States Department of Justice may be orchestrating a retaliation against him over his January 6th reporting. Quote, Steve's actions on January 6th have been known to the Department of Justice for three years. But it is only now, after Steve has broken two major stories greatly embarrassing for the Department of Justice, that he is possibly being targeted for arrest and felony prosecution. Any action taken to put him in handcuffs, hold him in custody, and have him transported to court by federal law enforcement will be nothing other than retaliation for his recent reporting. What has been uncovered as a result of Baker's investigations? His first January 6th analysis for Blaze News came last October, following countless hours in a House subcommittee office looking at frame after frame of January 6th closed-circuit video. And it had him wondering, did Capitol Police Special Agent David Lazarus perjure himself in the Oath Keepers trial? Soon after, the slow pace of getting an unrestricted look at everything recorded on video prompted Blaze Media Editor-in-Chief Matthew Peterson's appeal to House Speaker Mike Johnson to release all of the videos. On November, on November 17th, Johnson did just that. Baker's investigative efforts also resulted in two additional analyses, both focusing on Capitol Police Officer Harry Dunn. January 6th and the N-word that wasn't was one of his pieces. Another piece was entitled, Harry Dunn's account of January 6th does not add up at all. In December, Baker alleged he uncovered major irregularities involving Dunn, the Capitol Police officer, the Capitol Police writ large, the press, and U.S. Representative Jamie Raskin of Maryland. In January, Baker asserted that just-released U.S. Capitol closed-circuit TV video clips from January 6th shows Lazarus gave false testimony in the Oath Keepers trial. Also in January, Baker and others were asking what the U.S. government has to hide in regard to the pipe bomb found on January 6th at the Democrat National Committee headquarters. Baker followed up that in, in February with another analysis titled Capitol Police Diverted All CCTV Cameras Away from the DNC Pipe Investigation Except One. Just last week, he penned another analysis asking why Kamala Harris was at the DNC and not the Capitol on January 6th. Remember, the question is, and this is our buddy Dave Urbanski writing this for The Blaze. The question, of course, is if they if you had a pipe bomb, they said they found two. And you have the the incoming 
the vice president-elect of the United States of America, Kamala Harris, at the building where the pipe bomb was found. You don't evacuate her. You don't evacuate the building. You don't shut down the area. You don't do a, a, a grid search to find other pipe bombs. Nothing. And when you look, at the, you look at the footage of it, you realize that the whole thing was a fugazi. They never, they never really believed it was a real pipe bomb. They never really believed there was a real threat. I mean, you had the um, certification going on for the president of the United States of America just a few blocks away at the Capitol. I mean, the DNC and the RNC are very close to the, to the Capitol of the United States of America. You allegedly find pipe bombs. You don't, you don't immediately react to the idea that there might be a massive threat going on to the United States of America. Instead, it's just business as usual. There's a lot of questions and a lot of the truth coming out shows that this clearly was something the government did not take seriously, though at first we were told all about it. And then it was basically ignored and buried by the January 6th committee, even in their big primetime televised hearing and all of the subsequent spinoff shows. Remember, the January 6th committee had live hearings on TV for like one night and then nobody watched. So they moved them to daytime TV. And then they had a series of spinoffs. They had a whole channel, the J6 channel. You had to subscribe to it. But they had shows like Dancing with the Insurrectionists, The Masked Insurrectionists. They had a cooking show with the Proud Boys. They were proud of their um, Sunday gravy, I believe, was one of the episodes. Uh, and, and, and in all of that, they never, ever got into the pipe bombs. There were no weapons used on January 6th. The only alleged weapons were the pipe bombs. And yet that was not part of the January 6th trial. It, it made the January 6th committee's report. It's only mentioned briefly in the appendix. No pontificating speeches from Liz Cheney about it. No primetime analysis on TV. Nothing. Very strange. And for the reasons that we all know, which is that this guy is asking questions the government doesn't want him to answer, he's now, he's now under arrest. He's now a federal... Um, Felon. I mean, he's a felon as a reporter. This is America. This is America. This is where the corporate media cheers on the fact that a guy who made an allegation against the president of the United States that he accepted a bribe uh, is arrested, thus casting light on the entire case. You know, the media has been parroting that all week going, well, you know, I mean, obviously this confidential human source has been arrested by the FBI on the idea that he may have been working with the Russians. He was a confidential human source for the FBI for 10 years. And in the process, yeah, he did work as helping the FBI with the Russians. They arrested him for making an allegation against Joe Biden. Could you imagine if that had happened in the Trump administration? If Trump's FBI had arrested somebody who made an allegation against the president, or if they had arrested Christopher Steele for lying about the Steele dossier, or any of the number of other people who came forward and made claims about Russian collusion, none of them got arrested. And if they did, the media would have had an absolute freaking meltdown. And rightfully so, by the way, because if people are making allegations, then they get arrested by the Department of Justice that the president who they're making the allegations against is in charge of. That is exactly the kind of stuff they do in tyrannical communist regimes. But we basically live in a tyrannical communist regime police state in this country. In addition to that, Hunter Biden is now claiming that he never dropped off his laptop at the, uh, at the laptop repair shop in, in Delaware. John Paul Mac Isaac, who's been on the show several times, except we have the receipts. We know he did. 
But there's a lot of unbelievable claims from Hunter Biden's congressional deposition, which I'm going to share with you throughout the show today. Uh, There's a lot of it. I mean, it's just there's so there's so much that's been revealed here. But right now, Trump has just left a Florida court as he's dealing with, again, more of the nonsense as the government tries to go after him this time around classified documents. Remember, Biden could not could not uh, be charged because he's a doddering old man hiding his own Easter eggs and a jury would never convict him. But Trump is competent enough to stand trial, so they're going forward with the prosecution of Trump for having classified documents, even though Joe Biden also had classified documents. And unlike Trump, when Joe Biden had them in his possession, he had no ability to declassify them and claim them as his own property. And as I've told you before, if there is a matter, if there's a dispute between a president, an outgoing president, and the National Archives over what is government property, it is handled in a civil procedure. You don't have the FBI raid the president's home, the former president's home, and take the files. Unless you're trying to hide something. Unless you're worried that what's in those files would expose things like how the Russia hoax was orchestrated by Barack Obama's administration and the CIA and John Brennan and all the other deep state swamp creatures who should be in prison. How they orchestrated this to try to stop an American citizen from becoming president. And then used all that information to try to undermine his presidency, which is a coup. It was an attempted coup against Donald Trump as president. Tried to bring down his presidency using the national police state, the security state, to destroy his presidency. That's what happened. You call it, I mean, listen, you want to sugarcoat it, you want to call it something else, you want to sound politically correct, knock yourself out. I I don't do that. I don't play that game. Call it like I see it. I've been saying this stuff about our government ever since I got on the radio. See, I have a track record, and if you've been part of the Zioli Army since day one, you know that. You know that when I would come on the radio Saturday nights, I would sometimes come on before that great show, Remember When. I still love that show. And I would do my show from 11, 8, 8 p.m. to uh, 11 p.m., which, of course, now is where you can hear Michael Pelka, my buddy Stunt Brain. He's got the Saturday night shift. Or I would do the Sunday shift, which is now held by the capable hands of Matt Rooney. Oh, speaking of Matt Rooney, you know, he is the editor of the Save Jersey website, um, a guy today pled guilty to bribing Senator Bob Menendez, Gold Bar Bob, giving him a Mercedes Benz. I'll talk about that as well today on the show. But I, I would say years, I mean, 2010, when I first started getting on the radio, I, I would go on about how the government is weaponizing all the powers we gave them after 9-11 and even before 9-11 to target American citizens. And they are abusing the Constitution and abusing civil liberties. The thing about it is back then they were mostly doing it to Muslim Americans, so there wasn't as much outrage. I was outraged over it, as were many conservatives and libertarians. But I would also get the occasional caller who would say, Rich, what do you want to get blown up by a terrorist? They're trying to protect us and save our lives. Well, now you're the terrorist because you have a Cabela's fishing hat on, or maybe you have the audacity to purchase a Bible or a gun Perhaps you're clinging to it right now as we speak in Pennsylvania somewhere. And uh, for that reason, now you are the terrorist with your Betsy Ross flag, your MAGA hat, maybe your duck decoy. I've got to be honest with you. I've never really understood the whole duck decoy thing, but I get it. I mean, if you're a duck hunter, the decoy thing's the thing. I get it. It's never been my thing. I don't really, the whole thing. I mean, they have like festivals and conventions and whatnot about duck decoys but my thing is pizza homemade wood-fired pizza which i'll be doing tonight 
This weekend, not tonight. But the, the oven's still curing. You got to cure the pizza oven. You can't just fire it up. It's a process. It's a process to do that, and it takes time. But like everything else in life, it's worth it if you take the time to do it right. Like it took me a long time to get good at this, talk radio. Now, un, un, unarguably, I'm one of, if not the best, in the country. Of course, I'm very modest about that. <laughs> just kidding. No, but I mean, really, it, you got you to put the time in in life. You got to put the time in. And then in some cases, you got to realize when you've put too much time in, like Joe Biden, who yesterday saluted a tree as he was walking. He looked like you ever, I don't know, if somebody escapes, like I imagine Arkham Asylum has a elderly person's wing. Arkham, I have to give my daily superhero reference. I haven't really done one in a while, but Arkham Asylum in Gotham, where they put all the bad guys, the bad crazy guys, like the Joker, the Riddler, you know, and I think they have an old person's wing. And I imagine it'd be like, that's what it looked like yesterday. Biden escaped from that. He's walking really slow and he's got all these cops around him. And he just out of nowhere salutes a tree, a bird, something. I know Stu Bykovsky. I know he may not have been saluting just the tree. He may have also been saluting some maybe former world leader he saw. Perhaps at that moment he saw Churchill and gave him a nice salute. Maybe he saw Ike. I don't know. I'm just saying. It was, uh, it was a bad look for the president yesterday very slowly walking in the gate. But don't worry, the corporate media parroting how Biden's health is wonderful and how the doctors all say he's fine and there's no cognitive decline whatsoever. So don't worry about it. 855-839-1210 is the number today if you want to weigh in. The closing arguments in the trial of Fawnies, Fanny, and Nathan Wade and um, whether or not they were, and again, the clinical term, knocking boots prior to Nathan Wade getting hired. In my opinion, a reasonable person can conclude the answer to that is yes. And there is a clear reason to disqualify both Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade from this case because there is a conflict of interest. There's money changing hands. There's all kinds of reasons why a reasonable person can conclude these two are lying about the nature of their relationship. And I believe the judge will disqualify them next week. But as we speak right now, they are wrapping up the closing arguments. I don't know if Fawny Willis will take the stand or not today. If she does, oh, I'll bring it to you live. Or if Nathan Wade does, because that's going to be some much must-watch TV or must-listen-to radio in this case. We also have some great guests coming up for you today on the show. We're loaded up. We're going to talk to Dave McCormick, who's running for United States Senate in Pennsylvania, after Lancaster City announced that they are a sanctuary city. Yeah! I don't know if when they announced it, they did the white man's overbite and danced in the hallway like Jim Kenney once did. I don't know. Also, we'll talk to our buddy Wilford Riley about the latest in all things woke. And Cliff Maloney is going to join us, too, about how we can win Pennsylvania. We really can. We can win Pennsylvania in 2024. But we have to embrace some things we may not want to embrace. We'll talk about all that today. It's Friday. It's so good to be with you. we got breaking news everywhere, and we're all over it. And I'm glad you're here. Don't go away. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours 
and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Hey, Southampton. We know your favorite station is Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Closing arguments are wrapping up in the case to disqualify Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade in the case uh, against Donald Trump and his co-defendants. So we'll talk about that throughout the afternoon, of course. I got a lot. We're, we're loaded up. I mean, just a, uh, a really busy day today. But um, a couple things I want to mention, and that is this, you know, sarcasm is a lost a lost uh, art in this country. It's, a, it's something that we, we don't appreciate enough. And, you know, the thing about it is that I was at Parks a couple weeks ago doing the comedy night with Mike Baldini and Joe Conklin. And I did my impression of, I'm, I don't do impressions, but I did my impression of Biden. And basically what I did was I walked away from the microphone and just looked around like I was lost. And I walked to the back and then I turned and I walked to the right and I turned and walked to the left. I walked back to the microphone and just started mumbling. And then I walked to the back again. Crowd loved it. Anyway, Trump kind of does the same thing. I'm not saying he stole my stuff. I'm not suggesting that I gave him the idea. All I'm saying is that, you know, great minds think alike. But anyway, he uh, he got some grief over some of the comments that he makes about Biden, and he got some grief over calling Gavin Newsom new scum. Stuart Varney didn't like that very much. Who cares? I mean, it's just Trump style. People love it, actually. I think I think what they love about it is it's just refreshing for politicians to actually say what everybody else is thinking. I mean, you can't watch Joe Biden walking around yesterday at the border with those border agents around him and think to yourself, man, this guy's got it. This guy's got it together. This guy's ready to play some puddle or some pickleball. Uh, you could not think that. I mean, you, you think to yourself, get him back for Jello. He's missing the Jello. He loves just Jello night, and he's missing the Jello. That's what you think when you watch that. Like there's a there's a he's escaped from the elderly wing of Arkham Asylum, and they're trying to get him back in. All the cops around him as he salutes at a tree. Anyway, Trump talked about. Um, doing things with sarcasm, but that really, you know, something is going on here with Joe Biden. Something is definitely going on. He's not wrong about that. Uh, cut number three. It's easy, the answer, but I don't like doing it. 
he's got some difficulty. But it's not the age, because I know a lot of people that are much older than him that are 100% sharp, and I think most people agree with that. I don't believe he'd be capable of sitting down to do an interview like this. It'd be impossible. When I, I debated Gavin Newsom, I said, your problem is the guy that you are bragging about yeah. could not have this exchange. Yeah, he could not do this interview. He couldn't do an interview where you ask even a few questions. And I said this morning, I say it loud and clear, you should take a cognitive test, a president should take a cognitive. Now they say that's uh, unconstitutional, for whatever reason it's unconstitutional, but I took two of them and I aced both of them, I'm very proud to say, meaning I got it all right. Ronnie and they're Jackson. not that, they're not, Ronnie Jackson did one, they're not that easy. You know, they, they show you the first ones are pretty easy. And then you get up, you get into the middle category, then you get to the end questions. There are very few people could answer those questions. They're, very, they're actually tough. very tough. I've seen the test. But, but I think it's important that there be some form. We have this man negotiating nuclear weapons with Putin and with uh, President Xi, and he has no idea what's going on. And he can't find his way off a, a platform when he's speaking. You have five stairs, and he ends up walking into a wall. And whenever I imitate him, they say, Trump had a hard time getting off a platform. I do every once in a while, I'll do things out of sarcasm because I love sarcasm, but politically it never works because they always turn it around on you. But I'll tell you what, uh, it's not an age thing, but something's going on and we can't take a chance. This is the most dangerous time in the history of war. We have an incompetent president. Now, I used to treat him, and you know that I called you. I said you should take it easy on him. By the I way, used to call you. True story. You thought I was being too hard on him, and I was making too light. Let of me it. just jump in here and say, you know, I, I the the thing about um, about Biden, and the thing about what's going on with Joe Biden right now, and the fact that he is not, you know, cognitive cognitively there. That's literally what the special counsel said. They they said that now. Right. Uh, you, you can't require a cognitive test because that would require an amendment to the Constitution of the United States of America. It's true. I mean, you can't require it, but a president can do it. A candidate can do it. The American people should demand it. It's just like you, you, you I mean, you can't require a president to. Um, the only reason why presidents release financial things and all that is to accept federal funds, election funds. But the Constitution's requirements on to run for president are, are, are very minor. You don't need a college degree. You don't need to, to have money. You don't need to be handsome or charming. So you can't require a cognitive test unless you were to amend the Constitution of the United States of America. That's true. But Biden could still take one. But you got to understand something, and that is that the, uh, the 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 media in this country, the state-run media, basically, essentially now, is doing exactly what you would imagine them the, they would do. They just parrot the same talking points that Joe Biden is mentally fit, Joe Biden's fine, Joe Biden's mentally fit. I'm going to play that for you. The corporate media, ABC, CBS, NBC, all parroting what the White House says, not looking to actually do any investigative journalism, just like how they're not looking to do any investigative journalism. The question whether or not that the FBI arresting this informant, confidential human source, who said Biden took a bribe, whether or not that is something that would absolutely degrade the case against either Hunter Biden or the impeachment inquiry against the president. And it's something that the media should be outraged against, just like the media is not outraged that Catherine Herridge is now being fined eight hundred dollars a day for not revealing her source in the media in this country. The corporate media is not outraged that a fellow journalist, the blaze, they don't consider that to be real journalism has been arrested for his reporting on January 6th. 
It's a disgrace. It really is. Listen, Emmons Roofing and Siding, great friends at Emmons, the terrific work that they do over there. Uh, Matt, Stephanie, the entire team dedicated to your satisfaction. EmmonsRemodeling.com. I'd love for you to check it out. They also have a design showroom in Cherry Hill. So our relationship with Emmons goes back probably seven years now when they first did our roof. And we have a lifetime warranty on that roof. Now we have a new house. But in the old house, the one that we moved out of in October, they redid our bathroom. They redid our kitchen. And beautiful work. In fact, Emmons can remodel your bathroom in one day. That's right, one day. With minimal disruption, one day bathroom remodeling. And you'll be thrilled with the work. Doors, windows, siding, roofing, and yes, kitchen and bathroom remodeling. Emmons Remodeling, they do it all. And they serve Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, and the Jersey Shore, our entire region. If you have a Jersey Shore house, make sure you get that roof inspected now because small leaks in the winter can lead to costly repairs when the warm weather comes, which is not that far from now. And if you've had any damage to your home because of all the recent storms, reach out to Emmons. They are the home restoration experts, and they will work directly with your insurance company to make sure the work is done right on time, and done correctly. So go to EmmonsRemodeling.com for all of your home improvement needs. Trust the team at Emmons like I have done for so many years now and tell them I sent you. It's the Rich Zioli Show, live from the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. now of Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade going on. Willis is at the hearing. If she takes a stand, we will certainly bring that to you live. No question about it. Um, it's a bit. It's a big news day for a Friday. Uh, journalists arrested. Catherine Herridge being held in contempt of court. Um, so much to cover. Trump left court in Florida. So we're all over it for you. But we got to win Pennsylvania. That's the key. Welcome back to the show on Twitter at Rich Zioli. And the big story of the day today brought to you by my buddy, Dr. Mike Venaria, venariadental.com. Go see him today for your perfect smile. Two locations to serve you right over the bridge on um, right over the bridge in Cinnamonson and Woodbury. Dr. Mike Venaria, venariadental.com. We got to win Pennsylvania. If we don't win Pennsylvania, we're not going to win the presidency. Dave McCormick's going to be on the show later today. He's got to win the U.S. Senate seat. How do we do it? Can we do it? I know there's a lot of cynicism out there. Especially as we have questions regarding ballots and Democrats voting from the dead. Here to talk about it with me, my buddy Cliff Maloney Jr. He is founder of the Pennsylvania Chase, and it's great to have him on the show today. Cliff, my man, good to see you at CPAC last week. Rich, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me today. Hey, by the way, I got to ask you, uh, did you see any Nazis at CPAC when you were there? (laughs) Only the left-wing media telling us they were there. But no, I did not happen to see any of them. <laughs> I tell you, man, I was there for four days. I didn't see a single Nazi. I saw a lot of other things that made me uh, have my head turn, but not, not any Nazis. Yeah, I know it's always good to come together and kind of talk through, uh, you know, strategy and see a lot of the big names and get people excited. Um, but it is quite funny when you, when you see how they spin it. And they always pull, you know, some fringe character, some fringe comment. 
and make it out to be that the whole event was about that, you know, not all the, the great work that people are trying to come together and do. And the guy that you're talking about was not a CPAC attendee, was not a speaker, was not on a panel. He was just some dude at a bar in the Gaylord Hotel, which is a huge, massive hotel open to the public. And they used that guy to say that it was like a, like a Nazi convention. These people in the media are the absolute freaking worst. They, they really are, Cliff. Yeah, no, and it's I, at this point, I kind of get a laugh out of it, right? You, you kind of see what they take, how they spin it. And I think the best part, Rich, though, is so many people are just waking up to just the constant barrage of nonsense. You know, any story ever, I mean, really any major story uh, that you saw uh, put out there over these last, I would say, four to six years. I mean, public opinion on it, I kind of like where we're headed. Most people realize that it's just a bunch of baloney. So, Cliff Maloney, tell us about the Pennsylvania Chase, PHase.com. Tell us about your project. Yeah, so I told you last time I was on the show, you know, we've launched the Pennsylvania Chase as an effort to really combat what I would call uh, a failure for Republicans, uh, myself being a Republican, so I'm owning up to that, but a failure for Republicans to match the Democrats' tactics at mail-in ballots. So as your listeners know, Pennsylvania now has 50, that's five zero fifty 50 days of mail-in ballots. And as much as I love voting on Election Day, um, the rules that we currently have, you know, allow for Democrats to pretty much say, look, we're going to have 50 different election days. And Republicans, you know, since 2020, we've said, hey, everybody focus on election day. Well, that's one opportunity, you know, so we're down 50 to one in terms of opportunities to vote. And so after the 2023 election, uh, we realized that Republicans are averaging 20 percent of all statewide mail-in ballots. Let me say it one more time. Of all the mail-in ballots, when you look at them, 20 to 80 is the actual breakdown of Republican to Democrats on average. And so what we're doing, Rich, is very simple. We're going to put a whole team of people out there, about 100 to 120 paid activists. We're going to knock on 500,000 doors in the final 50 days. And our objective is to get that 20% number to jump up to 33%. We think that's how Dave McCormick becomes competitive. We think that's how Donald Trump becomes competitive. And that's how we think we win Pennsylvania again. This is a roadmap to winning Pennsylvania, which I'm telling you right now, Cliff, mark my words. I said this in 2020, said this in 2016. Whoever wins Pennsylvania wins the presidency. No doubt about it. I think Trump can win. And I love the fact that Dave McCormick does not have a contested primary. Everybody's rallying around him. So his, he's laser focused now on going after the lesser Casey, Bob Casey Jr. But let's let, let me ask you this question first and foremost, because somebody listening right now is going, I don't want to do mail-in ballots. We shouldn't have to do mail-in ballots. I, everybody should have to vote on Election Day. That's the way it should be, period. So my first answer to them would be I 100 percent agree. Right. A lot of people ask me, like, you know, Cliff, I feel like two years ago you were the guy saying vote on Election Day. That's right. Right. But I'm a former Pennsylvania math teacher. Rich. I'm here to tell you I've looked at the numbers and the numbers tell me that we cannot win unless we adapt to the rules. You know, you mentioned Dave McCormick. This is why I'm excited about Dave. He understands this, right? His team is putting together an effort to get out there and get these folks to actually apply for these mail-in ballots. And let me, let me talk to you about one important thing that you said. If people think you're just going to take election day voters and move them to become people that vote by mail, that's not going to change the outcome. And the Democrats have understood and utilized this for the last four cycles. Here's what we need to do. We need to play their game, which is we got to go out there and find out of the, let's say, 9 million 
registered voters that are expected to be in Pennsylvania in the 2024 election. Out of those 9 million, there are at least a million of what I would call low propensity, disengaged Republican voters. The Democrats did the same thing with Democrats. We have got to go out there, find those folks, get them to request a mail-in ballot, because here's the thing. They're not going to show up on Election Day. As much as that's crazy for you and me and all of your listeners to hear, there are a million voters in Pennsylvania that aren't going to show up to vote on Election Day. But if they did send in the ballot, they're going to vote red up and down the ballot. That's the game we have to play. We've got to adapt to that. People like McCormick, Trump's team, they're all in on this. That's why I do think that Pennsylvania is in play, but we've got to match the Democrats with their tactics. Okay, so then I'll ask you this question. Is the Republican National Committee, now that uh, Ronna McDaniel's out, uh, thankfully, in my opinion, do you think... A, the Republican National Committee will give us the resources we need to be able to achieve this. Do you think the state Republican Party will give us the resources we need to achieve this? I think that Rana resigning slash kind of being forced out is probably the first breath of fresh air that I have felt as a Republican in Pennsylvania in probably the last four years. I mean, just since these rule changes. And here's why. I don't know what the national party is going to do. I don't know what the state party is going to do, but it shows that there is a change. It shows that there's a signal or at least the message being heard. And this is a message from the grassroots. This is a message. I mean, I was out turning point with Charlie Kirk and Tyler Boyer. These are people we're partnering with when it comes to the Pennsylvania chase. Folks like Scott Pressler doing the work on the ground with us in Pennsylvania, their voices, our voices, The people, the blue collar voters, our voices are now being heard. And so I think it's an opportunity. I'm not excited. I'm not saying I'm I'm thinking we're 100 percent all set and ready to go. But I do think that Rana's resignation shows we cannot continue to lose. We cannot continue to fail to adapt without there being some sort of blowback. So this presents a new opportunity that hopefully the state, the national party, All the grassroots groups can come together and say, listen, the rules that we want to have are not the rules. So what are the current rules? Let's play by the rules. Let's beat them at their own game. This shakeup at the RNC is a huge opportunity for every grassroots conservative, not just across the United States, but more importantly to me, right in my backyard in Pennsylvania. I love your enthusiasm, Cliff Maloney. I really do. I love your enthusiasm. PHA.com. How many you're looking to get now? I think what would you say? 150,000 activists motivated across the state. Is that right? So what we're trying to do is we will hire. This is what the left does. So we're matching them. This isn't some new secret sauce, right? We're going to hire 100 to 150 full time paid ballot chasers. 100 to 150, not 1,000. I'm sorry. I said 100. Right. Okay. But they're going to knock. 500,000 doors targeting those low propensity disengaged folks that have requested a ballot. Now, here's the other thing, though, Rich. We need volunteers across the state. I mean, if people want to get involved, you know, yeah, we're going to have 100 to 150 that are paid, hardcore, round the clock folks, but we need volunteers. So, any of your listeners out there that want to help us to talk to their neighbors, to use our data, to go out there and door knock and chase these ballots, go to phase.com. You can sign up to volunteer. You can, you can apply to be a paid ballot chaser. But we need anyone with any type 
of conservative backbone in the state of Pennsylvania to go to PHase.com, help us by supporting or funding a ballot chaser, help us by saying you want to volunteer. We really need everybody to come together. I don't care who gets credit. I'm just trying to save the country. You cannot save America. You can't win the White House unless you win Pennsylvania. And we think the Pennsylvania Chase is the program to get it done. You know, I, I as I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about a couple of things right right off the top of my head, which is that uh, I'm also guilty of being one of those guys that waits until election day to vote. And I was at the election. I think I got I think I got to my polling location three minutes before it closed and there was traffic. And had I missed that, had I got there at 802, I would have been out of luck. This is an advantage for all of us. We have to think about it in that context too. Let's take advantage of this opportunity because we things come up, right? I mean, things come up on election day. You the kids get sick, you you have to work late, you're last minute you have to go out of town. This is a good opportunity to take advantage of it. We both would love to have a situation where there can only be in-person balloting. I would love to be able to eat pizza every day of my life and not get fat. We have to live in the real world, not the world we want to create. We have to just <laughs> embrace reality, right, Cliff? We have to. And so what I the other question I want to ask is this. How do we convince people on our side that they can trust that this is going to be okay? Because here's what I'm worried about. I'll tell you what I'm worried about, Cliff Maloney. It's this. Too often I hear people say, it doesn't matter, they're going to cheat, and we're going to lose. I heard that from somebody the other day who said, Rich, I used to listen to your show every day, but I stopped because I just believe that no matter what they do, it's going to be rigged, they're going to cheat, and that's the end of it. And I said, if you have that self-defeating attitude, then you're exactly right. We are going to lose. How do we convince people to, to shed that negative mindset, Cliff Maloney? Yeah, it's probably the toughest challenge we're going to face, Rich. And here's the thing I say to people. Politics is tough, right? It's a tough sport. And the problem I run into all the time is that Democrats push through it. And Republicans, unfortunately, make excuses. Now, I'm not talking about the voters. I'm not talking about the activists, right? I'm talking about the leaders, right? This is why Republicans don't hire ballot chasers, because it stinks. It's one of the worst gigs in the world, People want me to talk about it like it's this happy, you know, party and it's this easy gig. It's it's terrible. You have people slamming their door in your face. But Democrats realize it's worth it to push through. So here's what has to happen. Yes, it's going to be difficult. Yes, we have to try to convince Republicans. But I always tell people, listen, if you think that they're tampering with your vote and you think that by you voting early, you're giving them more of an opportunity. If they're tampering with your vote, they're going to tamper with your vote. I don't want to tell anybody in Philadelphia or Allegheny counties not to vote. That's not what I'm saying, Rich, but here's what gives me hope. When we look at our map across the state of Pennsylvania, you look at the entire Commonwealth, there are plenty of ballots in places that we trust those that are counting the ballots, and our folks don't vote. So once again, I'm not saying we ignore Philadelphia. I'm not saying we ignore Pittsburgh or some of these other cities. But what I'm telling you is, the reason everybody should have some optimism is it's not just those places that we would have to ha see some tremendous gains. It's not just there. There is so much opportunity. There's so much room for growth in all these other pockets that are huge, dense red pockets throughout Pennsylvania. And so if you're in one of these tough counties, it's, I mean, heck, if you're in Delco, where my entire family is, you might think, hey, it's run by Democrats. You know, it's a Submit your vote. Get your vote in because Dave McCormick, Donald Trump, 
these statewide offices are relying on you and the pockets of red votes that we are going to bank, we're going to turn them out through this mail-in ballot operation. That's how we all come together. And if we can keep that optimism and push through it a little bit, get rid of the defeatist mentality, I think we can actually win again. But it's going to be a challenge to get people to be okay with that mail-in ballot process. Cliff Maloney, PHA.com. Check out the website. Help this man out. This is the blueprint to win Pennsylvania in 2024. PHA.com. Cliff, thank you, buddy. We're going to have you back on again because we got to get this done. Your optimism, your enthusiasm, your energy is going to help us in a big way. Thank you, my friend. Rich, always appreciate you being a patriot. You all take care. All right. And we'll be right back. We got a big four o'clock hour straight ahead for you. Don't go away on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all in one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Alvarez. Subscribe to At Bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. WPHD, WPHD, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The revolution will be broadcast. This is the next generation of talk. Now, on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, Rich Zioli. Oh, man. Adam Abate, Abate, the uh, Fulton County DA's office uh, attorney right now. This guy is as bad as the attorney and my cousin Vinny. It is brutal to watch this dude as the closing arguments are wrapping up in the Fawny Willis-Nathan Wade affair trial. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here today. 855-839-1210 on Twitter, at Rich Zioli. I'm watching this guy, and I think at one point he stopped to like just chug a glass of water, and uh, the judge asked some questions. He responded in silence. It's it's bad. We'll, we'll get some uh, we'll get some audio for you, and and no no doubt about it. You're gonna you're gonna like the comparison to the attorney and my cousin Vinny. But uh, we got a lot we got a lot to chat about this hour. Dave McCormick's gonna stop by. He'll join us. We'll talk about again Pennsylvania. We got to win. The, we got to win PA. It's got to happen. It's it's a it's must win. Has to do it. Gotta gotta do it. But let's begin with our daily. Um, uh, we haven't had a comparison of Trump to Hitler. And it's been, what, 14, 15 minutes, I think, since we've had the last <laughs> comparison of Trump to Hitler. So um, we we got to make sure we get that in. What What's the requirement, Matt DeSantis? Like once uh, once every hour, I believe, in America? <laughs> oh, that's the average? I, I, I think so, yeah. He has to be compared to Hitler or the 1930s or they – don't, they don't compare him to Mussolini and that bothers me because I, I, as an Italian, am offended that they never compare him to Mussolini. I, you know, I'm just saying. You know, I mean, you know, my, my people and all. But, uh, but here's um, four, 14-time failed presidential and U.S. Senate candidate Beto O'Rourke uh, who at one time was hailed as a rock star by the media – who got crushed in every election he's ever run, giving us our daily reminder that the left can't think of anything creative to compare Trump to, and they just continue to play the same old records constantly over and over again. Cut number four. Trump's comments are a reminder of just what a disaster his presidency was for the border. 
It was chaos and it was cruelty. It was kids in cages. It was family separation. It was a Muslim ban. And Jose, as we just heard, he's also talking about immigrants poisoning the blood of America. That's something that you could have expected from Adolf Hitler in the 1930s, not something there you should expect from our president today. There it is. Your, your daily Trump is Hitler comparison. There you go. I know we have to make sure we always get it in there because, uh, God forbid, the left comes up with something original. Uh, 855-839-1210 is the number. The big story of the day today brought to you by my buddy, Dr. Mike Venaria, VenariaDental.com. Go see him today for your perfect smile. V-A-N-A-R-I-A, VenariaDental.com. Here is the, uh, the, the corporate media, particularly the unbiased journalist, George Stephanopoulos freaking out over the fact that the United States Supreme Court is going to take the Trump immunity case. Okay, this is uh, this is now George Stephanopoulos, the unbiased journalist, no relation to the George Stephanopoulos that was the communications director for Bill Clinton and worked for Democrats for years and years and years and years and years. Totally different George Stephanopoulos. That George Stephanopoulos, sadly, was yeah, was eaten by a great white shark off of the coast of Cuba when he was there vacationing with Justin Trudeau and his family uh, doing a tour of Trudeau's birthplace. Nothing from the Censorati? Uh, Nothing from the... Sorry, I was queuing up the cut. Um, no, we, we believe that Pierre Trudeau is the father of Justin Trudeau. Is that what you referenced? Well, but, but you're okay with the fact that I just alleged that George Stephanopoulos was eaten to death by a great white shark. That somehow doesn't pass that. that th- I can get past the censors with that. I'm sure there's a George Stephanopoulos out there that has been eaten by a, a shark at some point in history. So that's probably fine. Probably accurate. Well, yeah. that was that George Stephanopoulos. This George Stephanopoulos is an unbiased journalist. No relation to that George Stephanopoulos. Uh, an unbiased journalist who ABC named as their chief political guy, who, of course, runs the Sunday show on ABC. He's an employee of ABC News, which is owned by the parent company China. It's ABC Disney Disney's owned by China, so ABC Disney China. But but again, this is no relation to the George Stephanopoulos, who was Bill Clinton's communications director and chief of staff. Sadly, he was killed in a tragic Zamboni accident. He was actually, I don't know if you know this or not, it was at a Flyers game uh, at the Spectrum. And he was uh, run over and crushed to death by a Zamboni in 1999. <laughs> it's awful to watch. It was also awful to watch because it took like 32 minutes, you know, and, and people were yelling at him to get out of the way, just like in... Austin Powers. But anyway, um, no relation. Here's the unbiased journalist, George Stephanopoulos. In with the Supreme Court, agreeing to hear Donald Trump's claim that he's immune to prosecution on federal charges of attempting to overturn the 2020 election. That puts his trial on hold, serving the former president's strategy of pushing his trials past the presidential election. In deciding to take up the issue of presidential immunity, the Supreme Court has effectively delayed the most far-reaching criminal case against Donald Trump. The delay is already something of a Trump victory raising the real possibility that the trial could be pushed back until after the presidential election. With this delay, even if the trial is able to happen before the election, it would likely take place against the backdrop of the political conventions later in the summer or in the heat of the fall campaign, possibly, George, after voters in several states have already started casting their ballots. Ultimately, this question of of immunity is not likely to be a close call. They're going to rule against Donald Trump there. So why take it? 
This really is all about the clock. Again, we're I mean, just let me jump in. What an absolutely unbiased statement from an unbiased journalist named George Stephanopoulos. Totally unbiased. That would be if if George Stephanopoulos, the Democrat hack who ran Bill Clinton's campaign, was there. What he would say is the court was going to absolutely rule against Donald Trump. But since this is the unbiased journalist, George Stephanopoulos, he didn't say that at all. In fact, he said we'll have to see how the court rules. Or, or, or maybe I wasn't paying attention. Can you just go back like maybe 15, 20 seconds, Matt DeSantis? Because, again, an unbiased journalist would say that it's 50-50. You know, the court could take there's compelling arguments here on both sides. And but uh, a, a Democrat hack would say the court's going to rule against Trump. So, again, let's um, let's take a quick uh, listen to that. Ballots. Ultimately, this question of, pre- of immunity is not likely to be a close call. They're going to rule against Donald Trump there. So why take it? This exactly really like I said, Matt DeSantis, an unbiased journalist completely calling it up the middle and showing both sides of the argument and how the Supreme Court could, on one hand, argue that by doing so, you'd create a precedent whereby presidents could be tried for criminal actions, even if the case doesn't really have merit. And maybe the court would be reluctant to wade in on this, given the impeachment clause, um, totally calling it right up the middle. Bravo to the unbiased journalist, George Stephanopoulos. Not at all how the other George Stephanopoulos would have asked the question. He would have said, without a doubt, the Supreme Court's going to definitely rule against Donald Trump. It's not even a question. Um, but that, of course, that George Stephanopoulos was killed tragically after he ingested some spit, some saliva from the stuttering attorney in my cousin Vinny and caught a um, terrible plague and, and uh, died. So it was a tragedy. Tragedy. I forgot that deleted scene. Yeah. Yeah. It was a delete. And again, it's a deleted scene. And, you know, it was the end of his. But but this George Stephanopoulos, I mean, I, I got to say, I miss this kind of true calling it up the middle journalism. Don't you? Isn't it refreshing <laughs> to hear? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's actually kind of amazing. Yeah, it really is. So, in fact, just one one more one more time, if I could, because I I think in America today, we don't have enough unbiased journalists like this George Stephanopoulos, who, by the way, is only 24 years old. You know, he was born in the year 2000. They named him George Stephanopoulos after George Stephanopoulos, of course, who was killed in a tragic accident when he was uh, eaten to death by a Yeti. Um, Terrible, terrible thing. But this guy, I mean, uh, they should teach this at journalism classes across the country. Take take another listen. Ultimately, this question of, pre- of immunity is not likely to be a close call. They're going to rule against Donald Trump there. So why take it? I mean, bravo, right? I mean, is that is that not journalism 101 right there? How you, you show both sides and you really ask the question. And you know what I mean? Like that is just beautiful. I have chills. Chills. <laughs> He's so annoying. He really is, and he gets paid like $30 million a year or something like that. Him and Chuck Todd, the two of them. Well, I I will say this. Chuck Todd is just a doofus. I mean, at least George Stephanopoulos is a very, very bright guy. He's so bright because, I mean, he uses his, his, his perch there to tell Democrats what to say. I mean, he's he's actually probably one of the smartest guys out there, but... Chuck Todd's just a doofus who, quite frankly, got a lot of wedgies when he was in high school. I mean, come on. <laughs> There's a clip from uh, Chuck Todd the other day. He was on that Meet the Press Daily. I should have grabbed it because it's sort of interesting. Wait, wait, wait. Was it Meet the Press Daily? Because I can't wait till Sunday to get my Meet the Press fix. 
It I need my daily fix. It was daily. It was not the regular Meet the Press. He's banned from that one. But Meet the Press daily, they bring him back all the time for some reason. But hmm. um, anyway, he was on to talk about the election results in Michigan, and he spent, I don't know, five minutes downplaying the uncommitted vote, saying it wasn't important. And he also uh, emphasized that uncommitted didn't win any delegates. Now, for a second, I panicked because we had said, you know, uncommitted won two delegates. I thought, oh, geez, you know, I must have misread something. I went and looked it up. Chuck Todd was wrong. Mm. It wasn't us. Hmm. But uh, he, uh, he does it all the time. I, he's, he's got terrible hair. <laughs> everything about him annoys me. You are very petty. You know that? He's got terrible petty. hair. He's got bad hair. He definitely had like hair plugs or so. I don't know what, what's going on on the top of his head. But Chucky plugs. Bad. Chucky <laughs> plugs. That's what they called him. He got Chucky plugs and Joey plugs. He's like half between. He's caught between just going bald and accepting it and then fighting it off. But he's, he's like in this no man zone where he's sort of uh, embraced both worlds and it, it's horrible looking. Either go Ch- bald or get the go full fledged on the on the hair plugs and correct the issue. But don't dance around in the middle. Chuck Todd was the guy that uh, your, your buddies would invite to like come over to play Madden. And then when he got there, they, they already left. <laughs> to go eat pizza and be like, oh, sorry, we, we, we were done by the time you got there. The other thing about Chuck Todd that annoys me is whenever anyone accuses him of being sort of uh, progressive, he'll claim that uh, he's not and his father was a, uh, you know, a Reagan Republican. But then the other day I was listening to, again, uh, one of his, I think it was the, the Chuck Todd cast. I don't know why I do this to myself, uh, but I was listening to the Chuck Todd cast. Yeah, because if you and- can't get enough Chuck Todd... <laughs> You need the Chuck cast. And he was saying that his dad was a registered Democrat. So I, I, I don't know what to believe anymore. I, I, I think we can all just believe he's just a dork. <laughs> uh, here's a little clip of the attorney in the uh, Nathan Wade, uh, Fawny Willis case. This is the guy representing the Fulton County District Attorney's Office. Um, this this dude is he's struggling mightily here. The, the judge asks him questions. He just it responds in silence. He doesn't know how to handle it. Um, this is painful. Take a listen. What I would say is misstates the law as it relates to uh, what the law uh, or what is required in order for uh, an elected district attorney uh, and their office to be disqualified. And what I would submit to the court is let's go, let's go back to that. Show me how. Yes. Show you how. So I think the first one they cited was battle versus the state. <laughs> Certainly a conflict of interest or the appearance of impropriety would be the grounds of disqualification. Well. There are a number of these cases that seem to exclusively rely on the appearance of impropriety. Right. I think they acknowledge that there's some ambiguity here, that sometimes Whitworth and Whitworth gets cited to Ventura, and we've got this quote that comes up where it's just they only cite to an actual conflict that must be involved. They, they acknowledge the ambiguity. You're saying there's no ambiguity whatsoever. Yeah, I, um, uh, uh, and he's reading notes off his laptop, and he, he still can't he still can't uh, come up with an answer. It's just amazing. And at one point, he just turned and just chugged a glass of water, clearly nervous, sweating on the stand. It definitely reminds me of the attorney and my cousin Vinny. You'll remember this scene. Take a listen, Mister. Uh, 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 Tipton. <laughs> Now, when you viewed my clients, how, how, how far away were you? 
about 50 feet. Oh, nah. Do you think that that's close enough to make an accurate... Uh, I... Uh, I... 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 Identification? <laughs> there, well, you know, I mean, it's not easy. Certainly not easy. Uh, we'll, we're my... <laughs> no sense uh, you can read his laptop he's got just this giant print on his screen and he's just just not doing anything yeah no it just doesn't just help him it. i mean yeah. it's just judge asked him he's like uh, uh uh um uh um and then silence and then the judge has to help him out like well what i mean is it's like coaching a three-year-old like well you know reagan don't you want to paint the unicorn in, in the unicorn and not around the unicorn, right? Like inside the color lines? Uh, they're not posting enough audio of this trial as fast as I would like it because it's, it's, uh, it's really fascinating. I, I love this stuff. But if there is, in fact, if anyone comes on the stand who's worth hearing, um, we'll bring it to you live. No doubt about it. I, I think the Trump um, uh, lawyers are doing a great job. I really do. I think they've, they've, they've done a great job of explaining how there's a reasonable conflict of interest. I was asked by my friend Susie Cool, do I think it's going to be a slam dunk? Um, no, but I, I think, look, look, this judge seems to me to be very balanced. I think this judge is asking a lot of right questions. I think the judge, his main concern, which I think the uh, Trump lawyers did a good job of, of answering, was, look— if we say that we can't believe Fawny Willis, if we say that we can't believe her in this, does that mean that every case she's ever tried has to be thrown out? And they, I think, did a good job of explaining the answer to that is no, because in this particular instance, she was under oath as a as a, essentially testifying. And when you're under oath testifying, well, you know, you 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 have to be honest. Um, that doesn't shouldn't have any bearing on any of the other um, of the other issues. And the judge just said he may be ready to issue a decision on whether or not she should be disqualified without additional evidence. I, I can't say for sure how this goes. My sense of the matter is I, I believe personally that they've made enough of a compelling argument that there is at least the appearance of a uh, of such a, a conflict of interest here that it would not be in the interest of justice for the defendants for this to keep going forward. That said, you know, the, the, the eyes of the nation are on this judge. I, I know the guy's giving money to Democrats. He's giving money to Republicans, too. If I'm him, I, I'm, I'm making the ruling that there's at least enough impropriety here for two reasons. Number one, it's Georgia. And I think that if the guy wants a political future, <laughs> that's the correct ruling. And I think number two, um, a reasonable person can conclude, and again, this is the clinical term, that Fawny and Nathan Wade were, you know, they were, they were knocking boots prior to Nathan Wade coming on the case. There's, there's enough reasonable circumstantial evidence. And I know circumstantial evidence is not used in a trial, but this is not a trial in that sense. There's enough circumstantial evidence to conclude that he, in fact, and Fawny, the two of them, you know, had something going on here. And, and this the, the, the defendants deserve better. Here's what the judge said a short time ago. Take a listen. I think both sides have made requests to reopen the evidence. On behalf of the defense, there were some issues with uh, cell phone records. And the state has uh, found an additional uh, witness that they would like to present. And the instruction I provided on Tuesday was that for today, I think we've reached the point where I'd like to hear more of how some of the legal arguments apply to what has already been presented and it may already be possible for me to make a decision uh, without those needing to be material 
uh, to that decision. So that's why we're here today. I wanted to make sure we held this time because it is a bit of a logistical challenge to get everyone in a room together. Uh, so, but recognizing that, um, again, in the interest of efficiency, if both parties want to reserve part of their time to argue as if those proffered uh, exhibits have been admitted, feel free to make whatever arguments you, you would like. And if, in fact, it turns out that I do need those to be part of the record to make a decision, then we'd have to come back and we will do those in accordance with the rules of evidence. Now, that tells me that the judge knows there's more evidence that proves that the two had an affair prior to his hiring. He doesn't need it because I think he's ready to make a decision that there's enough of an appearance of a conflict here that she should be removed from the case, that they both should be removed from the case. That's my reading of it. I don't know this judge. I can't say for certain. And I, I, I don't know. In just listening to him, I think he's done a very good job of addressing all the questions, a- asking the right kind of questions. He hopes to have a decision in two weeks, is what he says. Two weeks. My sense of it is, again, is that if you're going to argue that the trial proceeds, I think you come back much faster with a with a decision. If you say there's no conflict, I, I think if you need two weeks, you probably you're, you're probably taking the time to argue why Fonny Wills needs to be removed. He spent a lot of time today asking Trump's attorneys to explain how under Georgia law. Um, this would would apply. And, and he also asked other cases where this has been an issue. And they did a good job of citing that, citing the law. Now, the law is very vague on what defines a conflict, but it really could be anything. You know, and he asked the question, he said, well, what happens, you're talking about finances, if somebody gives their boss a dollar, you know, and the argument, the, the response from the Trump attorneys was, well, if we give a gift to the court. You know, we're supposed to file that. It's got to be, it's the paperwork's got to be there. It's, you know, there was no record keeping here. It was all sloppy. I mean, um, he asked the question regarding the overnight stays at the Love Shack and, you know, whether or not they were working. And I, I again, I, who knows? Nobody can know for sure. But it's my opinion, and again, I'm just being objective here. It's my objective opinion that there's a reasonable person can conclude that there is enough appearance of a conflict of interest based on their personal relationship that they should be removed from the case. Because even if you have questions regarding the timeline, they were still having a romantic relationship while they were on the case against Donald Trump. And that's really a big no-no. I, I mean, it really is. You bring in an outside counsel who you're sleeping with, whether you started knocking boots prior to him getting hired, after he gets hired, in, in my mind, it's, it's, still, it's still problematic for the interests of justice. And the other thing, too, and I, I think the judge has to be cognizant of this fact, when you're, when you're dealing with a situation where, and they brought up, how Fawny Willis went to that church and she gave a whole sermon about how they're targeting her because she's black and they're targeting Nathan Wade because he's black. Uh, She lied to the congregation and she was trying to play the race card. And that's a potential jury pool right there that she's trying to taint. I I think all these things matter. And I, 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 you know, my, if I'm a betting man, I'm betting that the judge is going to say that they have to be removed from the case. But look, I can't know for certain. So, you know, We'll have to see how it goes. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. If you would like to weigh in on anything we are discussing today, we're going to talk to Dave McCormick. He, of course, is running for the United States Senate for Pennsylvania. 
Recently, Lancaster, Lancaster City, Pennsylvania, became a sanctuary city. So we'll chat with him about that. Of course, the lesser Casey, Bob Casey, who he's running against, you never see the guy. He only shows up uh, once every six years, and then you know you have six more years of a U.S. Senate term. He's like the freaking groundhog. But we don't know exactly what Bob Casey stands for because he doesn't say anything, but I'm sure Dave McCormick will fill us in on what his absence really means, his absence, his his lack of comments on some of the key issues, what that really means for Pennsylvania. So we'll talk about that coming up as well. Listen, Cooper University Healthcare is where the Zioli family goes for all of our healthcare needs. They are outstanding. Cooper University Healthcare is South Jersey's leading academic health system for a reason. The MD Anderson can Cancer Center at Cooper, where they are changing the game, giving people their lives back, really turning things around. When you go by the MD Anderson Cancer Center at Cooper, you'll see the word cancer, the big strike through it, because they are defeating it. It's great. It's wonderful. The cutting-edge research and technology, the Cooper Neurological Institute, they're doing great work on stroke, dementia, Alzheimer's. And, of course, Cooper Primary Care. There's more than 75 specialties, including advanced surgical care. And, hey, I had my surgery at Cooper. They did my diverticulitis surgery. Dr. Michael Quiet did an outstanding job. But I also had my rotator cuff surgery at Cooper. I've had a couple of surgeries, as you know. And they've all been at Cooper, and I've been thrilled. So make an appointment today for your family. There's a Cooper near you by calling 800-8-COOPER or go to cooperhealth.org. Cooper is committed, compassionate, complete. CooperHealth.org. Follow Talk Radio 1210 on Instagram and Facebook at 1210 WPHD. show glad you're here 855-839-1210 on twitter at rich zioli if you are on hold hold on and i will uh, get to you but have a guest right now i'm very excited to welcome back to the show the next united states senator for the commonwealth of pennsylvania hopefully knock on wood god willing dave mccormick dave how are you my friend hey rich how are you buddy i'm doing well uh you did a great job at cpac i'm sorry we weren't able to connect in person but your speech was great yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, sorry I missed you there. But, uh, you know, great opportunity to talk about the terror that's happening in the Middle East and Iran being the uh, the underwriter of terror and barbarism that attacked Israel and is focused on the West. And, uh, you know, Bob Casey and Joe Biden are the reason. And uh, we need strength. And that was the point I tried to make in uh, CPAC. We need strength in our White House and strength in our Senate. All right. So a couple things. First of all, I saw you responded yesterday to the fact that Lancaster City, Pennsylvania, has announced that they are going to be a sanctuary city, which is just completely mind boggling in the year 2024. As you see now, the mayor of New York is saying he wants to end New York City being a sanctuary city. Yeah, yeah this is it's, it's absolute madness, particularly with, with what we're seeing with this horrific murder of, of Lake and Riley, the tragedy that that happened in Georgia. 
know, we see sanctuary cities popping up uh, across the country and across Pennsylvania. We have 13 counties and the city of Pennsylvania that have implemented these insane anti-public safety initiatives. And Lancaster City Council is the most recent uh, example of this. And it's, it's crazy because uh, they're not cooperating with law enforcement uh, to prosecute illegal migrants. And uh, we see what happens with Lake and Riley. We see what happens when we're not holding uh, illegal behavior into account. And, uh, and Senator Bob Casey has been in favor of and voted for uh, protecting sanctuary cities. And now we see what happens with that kind of weakness and that kind of appeasement. Okay, now that's true, and I, there's no question in my mind about that. And and the fact of the matter is, is that your opponent, Senator Bob Casey, has been completely missing in action on the border, completely missing in action on on the on, on the invasion that's taking place here. He hasn't said a word about it. No, he hasn't said a word. And you know, you and I have talked about this. Rich. I mean, if we would have imagined on day one of the Biden administration how bad it could get, it's wildly surpassed our imaginations in terms of how bad it's become, and it's. As you know well, an enormous national security threat. We had 160 illegal immigrants that were apprehended that are on the terrorist watch list. It only took 13 to take down the towers in in, uh, 9-11. So this is an enormous risk. We have 10 million illegals uh, that have entered, uh, crossed into our border. That's the ones we know about. And, of course, it's, uh, it's also led to the fentanyl crisis, which is, is probably the number one, maybe number two issue I hear about in the campaign trail. 5,000 people in Pennsylvania last year died of fentanyl. And this is the direct result of these cartels, which have free rent on the border. That, uh, that fentanyl crosses the border with illegal migrants. The ingredients come from China. And in 48 hours, it's in northeastern United States, and it comes down Route 80, Route 81, into small towns like Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania, where I grew up. And it is an absolute travesty. And so we've got to stop this illegal invasion. And, and Bob Casey's done nothing. He uh, has voted against the border wall, has, has been very vocal in supporting President Biden's uh, weakness on the border. And now all of a sudden, like Punxsutawney Phil, uh, my mom grew up in Punxsutawney, so I talked about Punxsutawney Phil. Like Punxsutawney Phil, he's popping his head up in an election year and acting like he's concerned about the border. He's done absolutely nothing. I'll say one more word on this. I think this is such a risk to America that I would advocate using our military very selectively to go across the border, hopefully in concert with Mexico, but even if, if not, to take out those cartels. We have the technology, we have the precision, uh, just like we can take out terrorists, we can take out cartels. They are terrorists and they're destroying our country and we need to act on it. Do you worry about the fact that there's been allegations that the president of Mexico is in, you know, he's in cahoots with the cartels, that they basically control the guy? I do. That's why I said hopefully in concert, but either way. (laughs) So, uh, you know, it's hard to know the degree to which the cartels have permeated and and, uh, infiltrated the Mexican government, the Mexican armed forces, the Mexican police forces. Uh, What I do know is we've got a crisis that's come across our border and the president and our public leaders have a responsibility to act to stop this scourge. And so, I think military force is the way to go. You obviously would like to do that in in concert with uh, the authorities of Mexico. But either way, this needs to be stopped and it needs to be stopped now. Dave McCormick, let's turn to energy for a moment. I know that you put out a a plan to make Pennsylvania and America energy dominant. You have your keystone agenda to reclaim America. This is part two of that. Uh, you, You propose three steps to make America and Pennsylvania energy dominant. Let's talk about it. 
Yeah, well, well, you know, I'm I'm running a campaign which is about ideas and leadership. Uh, two things that Bob Casey hasn't demonstrated in his 18 years in the Senate. And if there was one single thing that you could do to change the trajectory of Pennsylvania, the economic well-being of its citizens, it would be to unlock our energy sector. And Bob Casey's been been a terrible uh, burden uh, to the people of Pennsylvania. He's 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 pursued an anti-fossil fuel agenda, uh, going uh, lockstep with uh, Joe Biden and and a radical environmental agenda, which ironically has hurt the environment. So my agenda goes the opposite direction. It says we need to be energy dominant. And energy dominant helps our economy, it helps our security, and it helps the environment. There's three things we need to do. First, we need to unleash oil and gas production here at home. And that means building infrastructure to get the oil and gas from energy-producing regions like western Pennsylvania to the rest of the country. We need LNG pipeline. We need an offshore port. uh, And we need an approval process and a regulatory process that streamlines that. We don't have that. Second thing we need to do is embrace an all-of-the-above energy approach. I'm for all forms of energy because energy dominance is our goal, but it has to be driven by markets, not by these huge subsidies. So I'm in favor of nuclear. I'm in favor of solar and wind and hydro, and I'm certainly in favor of unlocking natural gas. We just have to let the market dictate this. And what we're doing with these huge subsidies is distorting the market in a way that ironically is making us hugely dependent on China. 60% of the lithium batteries uh, come from China. Solar panels uh, come from China, uh, from the region that the Uyghurs are being uh, uh, abused in. And so ironically, what what the Biden administration has done is they've, uh, at a time where we're in growing, uh, a growing adversary in China, they've made our economy far more dependent on China. And so we have to stop that. The third thing we need to do is leverage our geopolitical strength. You know, we see the power of being the energy dominant force with what happened in Ukraine and uh, Russia's invasion and what happened in Europe. Germany made itself dependent on Russia. And when conflict started, uh, you know, the entire supply chain of Germany has been turned upside down. So that energy dominance, that ability to export around the world, that ability to build alliances based on that and to have our trading partners, it gives us strength. And here's the great irony. By exporting our natural gas, that replaces foreign coal uh, uh, plants in India and China and is great for, uh, great for the environment and great for reducing emissions. And, and we've done that in America. Emissions have, are down dramatically over the last 15 years. It's because of innovation. It's because of fracking. And that's the kind of energy dominance and innovation that America needs. And we're not going to have that with, uh, with guys like Bob Casey standing in the way. And Dave, Dave McCormick, you, you also had a couple of, of questions uh, that you posed to Bob Casey, and I think this is really good, too. I mean, number one, you know, this this idea of, of ending liquid natural gas, what Biden wants to do, this could be a huge, huge uh, job opportunity for, for Pennsylvania. I mean, if we had a liquid natural gas export facility right outside of Philadelphia, for example, that would be that would be massive. That would be great for jobs. Um, that's number one, right? Absolutely. Game-changing. Game so, you know, Toby Rice was at uh, my event, introduced me. He's uh, the largest natural gas producer in the, in, the, in the country, based right here in Pennsylvania. If you look at all the offshore facilities, they're all around Louisiana and Texas. If we had an offshore facility in Pennsylvania, that would allow us to export natural gas around the world. It'd bring down prices for, uh, for consumers in Pennsylvania, and it'd create a massive economic windfall uh, for Pennsylvania. And the problem is regulations and lawsuits and the lack of leadership. 
And so that's the first thing we absolutely need to do. And I, I put Bob Casey on the spot. I said, hey, listen, well, do you, uh, will you oppose Biden's goal of removing fossil fuels from the power sector? That's explicitly what he said. I also asked him if he'd oppose these electric vehicle mandates that are putting the jobs of auto, auto, auto workers of Pennsylvania and across the country at risk, but also making us dependent on China. I mean, the, the great irony is we saw during COVID how being dependent on semiconductors and pharmaceuticals from China and elsewhere made us, it brought our economy to a standstill. So that was the second question. And the third question, I, uh, I asked him, are we going to actually stop the import of those lithium batteries and solar panels from China? So uh, here you have Bob Casey trying to talk tough on China at the exact same time that he's supporting in lockstep the, the policies of Joe Biden that makes us more dependent on China in our most critical energy sector. So this is a guy that won't take a stand. He's wishy-washy on everything, and I'm calling him out because there's two choices. There's a choice of energy dominance, or there's a choice of being hijacked uh, by the environmental left and ultimately hurting consumers, hurting our national security, and as I said, a great irony, hurting our environment. Dave McCormick, you you served in the uh, 82nd Airborne. You're a graduate of West Point. You understand the importance of the American military. I got to tell you, you know, this whole episode with the Secretary of Defense just disappearing and not communicating with the White House and not talking to the president, uh, it's it's incredibly uh, terrifying. But I'm also worried about Biden's cognitive uh, decline here as the guy still has the nuclear codes. These things keep me up at night. Yeah, and and as well they should. You know, the deterrence... Deterrence, uh, keeping the bad guys at bay so you're not being challenged and tested, it depends on three things. It depends on your adversaries thinking you have the capability. It depends on your adversaries thinking you have the will. And it depends on keeping your adversaries guessing about how and when you'll use force. And under Joe Biden, we've lost deterrence. Uh, they don't think we're strong. They don't think we have will. And, and whenever he's going to do something, he broadcasts what he's going to do. It's the exact opposite of the kind of strength and deterrence we had under President Trump. And I'm terribly worried about it because it's what you and I learned when we were kids on the playground. If the bully thinks you're weak, um, they're going to push you. They're going to punch you. And we're at a moment where we're being challenged in, um, in the Middle East by Iran. We're being challenged or the West is being challenged by Russia in Ukraine. Uh, China is rattling its saber in the South China Sea. And all of this is being exacerbated by the weakness of Joe Biden in Afghanistan the Chinese surveillance balloon, the mixed signals to Putin. And so I'm terribly worried about it. And I'm terribly worried about our military. A huge recruiting shortfall, a leadership that's uh, uncertain at best. You know, he can't even get uh, in touch with his secretary of defense. Uh, A leadership team that I don't think is innovating the military in a way that's going to prepare it for the next war. And frankly, uh, a a woke agenda, this this notion of uh, of, uh, a DEI that's hijacked. Uh, the, the war-fighting mission of the military. Uh, just to give you an example of that, the Army rolled out its climate change strategy under Joe Biden before it rolled out its war-fighting strategy. This is all very concerning, and uh, you know, it's not just you and I that see it. It's our adversaries that see it, too. Yeah, the Secretary of State was more worried about making sure people don't use words like manpower and uh, uh, and mother than he than he than he seems to be about making sure the United States is sending a message to our enemies. Hey, listen, don't mess with us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's a dangerous world. And I, you know, I know from uh, my time uh, in the military, but I also know from just a recent visit to Israel where I, uh, you know, I, you mentioned that CPAC speech where I talked about it. I saw the barbarism 
uh, up close and personal with uh, Hamas coming across the border and the scope of that military mission to eradicate Hamas. And, you know, you've got two wars you're fighting, one above the ground and one uh, in that tunnel network. I mean, those, that's a tough mission. These are tough missions. China is a tough adversary. We need a cutting edge military that's innovating all the time to have cutting edge technology and, and, and tactics to be able to take on our adversaries. And by being powerful and, and so potent, uh, we increase the possibility of never having to use the military. And nobody wants, uh, nobody more than a military person wants to avoid putting our young men and women in combat. But, uh, but I'm worried. I'm worried that that weakness uh, will lead to us being tested. And um, listen, we've got nine long months uh, with uh, the declining cognitive skills of uh, President Biden in the White House. And if you're a bad guy, it's certainly a very appealing window to strike. Dave McCormick, where can people follow you, support the campaign, and uh, make sure we get you over the finish line to be the next U.S. Senator? I'm at DaveMcCormickPA.com, and uh, I've got my campaign bus, and I'm visiting uh, counties, all all 67 counties. Since the beginning of the year, I've visited 38 of our our great counties across Pennsylvania, and I got to tell you, I can feel the energy, Rich. I can feel the movement. I can feel the fact that 80% of Pennsylvanians think the country's heading in the wrong direction. Those aren't just Republicans. Those are just Pennsylvanians. Those are Americans. And so I'm excited about the campaign, excited to have the opportunity to lead on behalf of Pennsylvania. Well, listen, you got to come back on the show as much as possible. And uh, whatever I can do to help you, my friend, of course, you just let me know. Dave McCormick for PA. Uh, thank you, Dave. Best of luck and, you, and you're doing great. You got it. Talk to you soon. Thank you. I tell you too. What's great about Dave is that he's got the support of all the Republicans in this in in the state. I mean, top to bottom, conservatives, everybody, everybody's backing McCormick. There's no contested primary. It's just laser focused on the general. It's really, really refreshing. Uh, it's great. Uh, Joanne is in Pottstown. Joanne, hi. How are you? Well, I am well. Thank you, Rich. I've been trying to reach you all week to tell you how much I appreciate your telling me about the book, The Year of the Locust, by uh, Terry Hayes. Oh, you liked it? Oh, good. Oh, I'm on about page 600. I just had, what I like also about the book, other than that it's just riveting espionage and right up into the contemporary time, is what I like the way he lays out the physical book. The chapters are not real long, so even though it's quite a tome to read, you don't get the feeling because you go from chapter to chapter and he keeps you so engrossed. My one question is, is he an American citizen? I know Terry Hayes lives in Switzerland, but I don't know anything more about his background. Is he an American citizen? I don't know if he is an American citizen or not. I'm not quite sure. I know he was at one point. I, I, I assume he is uh, has dual citizenship, but I don't know that for a fact. But Joanne, thank you so much for calling and you have a great weekend. Thank you, and thank you for the suggestion. Keep them coming, please. You you got it. It's interesting, too. There's a science fiction twist to that book that some people didn't like. I, I, I liked it a lot. I really did, but, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a sci-fi guy, so uh, it's, it, it's definitely a unique read. I'll put it to you that way. Uh, Rob is in Landenberg. Rob, how are you? Rich, you're doing well. Thanks for taking my call. As always, great show. Great interview thank with you. McCormick, too. That was, thank that you. was good stuff. Um, hey, I have to disagree with you, and I don't disagree with you much on the uh, on good old Fanny Willis there. Uh, I think she's getting off. I, okay. And tell me if I'm wrong, but didn't that judge uh, like contribute to her to her candidacy for uh, when she was running for judge or running for AG there in Georgia? 
Well, the judges contributed to a lot of different people. I mean, it, 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 the, the politics are different down there. You know, judges are elected and, and uh, these district attorneys are elected. And so they all kind of give money to each other. I, I don't I don't think that would be the reason if he does, in fact, find that they shouldn't be disqualified. I, I don't think it's going to be that it wasn't a lot of money. And it's like going to political events. I mean, these these people do it all the time, you know. Yeah, I'm with you on that. But I, I just yeah, I mean. Everything's upside down. You know what I'm saying, man? I mean, I haven't seen a Democrat process. I mean, I mean, I don't see you don't see any of them get, uh, you know, taken out like this. It's amazing. I mean, as clear as everything looks, I mean, I understand all the evidence. And everything. I'm, I'm still skeptical. I just don't think they're going to go after, you know, they're, they're going to play that way. I just don't. Well, you know, the good news is that even if the judge says that she shouldn't be disqualified, the Georgia legislature and the governor are prepared to do something about that as a backup plan. Um, they they may have a remedy to be able to remove her from the case if that is, in fact, what, what happens. So um, so keep hope alive, my man. We'll see what happens. You got it. Good stuff. Well done. Thank, thank you, Rob. Appreciate it. Uh, Gene is in Abington. Hello, Gene. Yeah. Hi, Rich. Uh, look, I'm a retired physician. And the, the standard of a medical exam on somebody over 65 is, is you include a cognitive examination. That is by regulation as prescribed by Medicare. If you don't do that, there's financial penalties. So I think it's important that everybody know that this doctor didn't do a complete exam because that cognitive exam wasn't performed. Well, that's a great point. And um, it's, it's, uh, it's why the media should be digging into this instead of just championing what the White House says. It's, you know what I mean? It's, right. it's, it's so typical of our corporate media that they're all parroting what the White House says regarding Joe Biden's doctor. And uh, it's, it's a joke. I mean, he, no, no doubt about it, Joe Biden could not pass a cognitive exam. No, I mean, I'm your physician. I, I know he's not your patient, but, I mean, you, you don't have to be a doctor to see that, right? Try to have him count backwards. From 100 or the months backwards or you know what these are just these are many exams that are done in the office i don't mm-hmm. think he would pass not seeing him so i just want to let you know what the standard is and the standard as established by the government was not followed well thank you for that information thanks, thanks doctor for my call you bet. I appreciate it very much. You have a great, great weekend. 855-839-1210. Quick check-in on social media by our friends at Cherry Hill Vavo, and then I'll take a quick break, and we'll come right back. we got a lot to get to. Um, BPMCD on Twitter. Uh, BPCMD, excuse me. He said, Rich, I had to pull over. There is more than circumstantial evidence. Megyn Kelly has the text messages between Wade's old law partner and one of the Trump attorneys, Natalie, somebody. It's damning. Only question, why did the law partner play? I don't remember on the stand. Uh, Yeah, true. Look, I said I didn't say there's only circumstantial evidence. I said, in my opinion, there's enough circumstantial evidence for for a reasonable person to conclude. These two had a romantic relationship prior to Nathan Wade getting hired. Um, What the judge, you know, what? He asked that question today regarding the text messages. He's he's aware of the fact that, you know, what the the guy was saying in the text messages is very different than what he was saying on the stand. So the judge is aware of that fact. Whether that's going to be enough to push the judge over the edge, I don't know. But there's a it's not just circumstantial evidence, but in terms of what Willis said and what Wade said, I think the two of them 
there's enough circumstantial evidence to conclude that there's an impropriety here. There's a there's a there's a relationship, a clear relationship, and um, you know, I I, I am. I, I I think the judge should make that decision, make a determination, but we'll see what he says. Either way, though, I wouldn't lose hope because the Georgia legislature, like I said, is looking to do a remedy as well. But no, it's not just circumstantial evidence, but there is no real, I'd say, smoking gun here in the sense of like, hey, here's a video of Nathan Wade and Fawny Willis, you know, knocking boots and, you know, in, in December of 2019 and let's play it for the court. <clears throat> so you have to rely on circumstantial evidence that you, you – you, you come to the conclusion based on all of these different things and say there's there's enough appearance here where a reasonable person can conclude that. I think that's what the judge should do. But I'm not the judge, and I hope – I can only hope. It's all we can do. Um, all right, 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. Uh, <clears throat> we're going to take a, a quick break, but before I do, let me tell you about my friends at Natural Lawn of America. They're going to help you get a beautiful, green, lush lawn for your summer. You're going to love it. It is the safer – natural alternative to all those harsh chemicals. Savor for your family, savor for the kids, savor for the pets. It's my lawn care company, Natural Lawn of America. I've been using them for years. And right now they have a very special offer for you, limited time offer. They will seed your lawn for free every year. Just call them at 1-800-FREE-SEED. 1-800-FREE-SEED. Choose my lawn care company, Natural Lawn of America. Greener grass, fewer weeds, guaranteed. Since 1987, Natural Lawn of America has been giving people greener lawns without all those harsh chemicals, and they've been doing so because their technicians work to figure out what is specific to your lawn, what your lawn needs, and that's the difference. That's the Natural Lawn of America difference. 1-800-FREE-SEED. Tell them I sent you. Get Take advantage of this limited time opportunity. They will seed your lawn for free every year. 1-800-FREE-SEED. WOGL HD3 Philadelphia from the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The revolution will be broadcast. This is the next generation of talk. Now, this is the drive at 5. 30 minutes of non stop talk with Rich Zioli. Dang! That was the word. Remember that? Dang! When the attorney on the stand was confronted with the text messages. Dang! So the question is, will Fawny and her Fanny and uh, Nathan Wade, will they be disqualified from the case? Welcome back to the show. Glad you are here today. 855-839-1210. On Twitter, at Rich Zioli. There's a lot going on today. It's a big day. Uh, I mentioned earlier in the show today that there is a Blaze journalist who is now, um, well, he's been arrested by the FBI for reporting on January 6th. I mentioned how Catherine Herridge is now being held in contempt of court, $800 a day if she does not release the name of her source. This is not America right now. We are dealing in a police state of a country. I've been telling you we've been in a police state for a long, long time, um, and it's just absolutely crazy. We also have a judge in Illinois removing Donald Trump from the presidential ballot. I hope the Supreme Court will come back very, very soon, slap down Colorado, obviously, and end this nonsense once and for all. Um, to clarify Susie's question earlier in the show, it was, do I agree with the unbiased journalist George Stephanopoulos that the Supreme Court is going to say Donald Trump does not have immunity? 
The answer is no, and I do not think the court's going to say that. I think the court is is absolutely going to say that the president does have criminal immunity because you can't try presidents in criminal court. That's why we have the impeachment clause of the Constitution. It is my opinion the court is going to rule in favor of that. Obviously, I'll be tuned in like the nerd I am on the 22nd of April when they when they hear the case. I'll be tuned in, but the Supreme Court has to hear this case. It's very, very important why they have to take this up, the immunity case. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this opinion piece with you from two writers named David Rifkin and Elizabeth Price Foley. All right. And this is a good piece, you know, and, and let's jump into this for a second here. Many observers thought the Supreme Court would decline to consider Donald Trump's claim that presidential immunity shields him from prosecution for his conduct on January 6, 2021. But on Wednesday, the justices announced they're going to hear that. And really, the justices had little choice but to take up the question because the lower court's ruling was so sweeping and dangerous. Mr. Trump claims that his allegedly criminal actions, again alleged by the government, were official acts taken as president. The U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia held that it didn't matter if they were, that no president is entitled to immunity from generally applicable criminal laws, generally applicable criminal laws. That decision violates the separation of powers, threatens the independence and vigor of the presidency, and is inconsistent with Supreme Court precedent. The justices are unlikely to decide whether Mr. Trump's actions were, in fact, official acts. Instead, they will consider the key legal question. Whether and if so, to what extent does a former president enjoy presidential immunity from criminal prosecution for conduct alleged to involve official acts during his tenure in office? That's a novel question, but in Nixon v. Fitzgerald, 1982, the high court held that a president enjoys absolute immunity from civil suits predicated on his official acts, even if they fell foul of federal laws of general applicability. Justice Lewis Powell wrote that such immunity is a functionally mandated incident of the president's unique office. Rooted in the constitutional tradition of the separation of powers and supported by our history, such lawsuits could distract a president from his public duties to the detriment of not only the president and the office, but also the nation that the presidency was designed to serve. Mr. Trump maintains that he believed the 2020 presidential election was riddled with fraud and that his conduct on January 6th was fully consistent with his constitutional obligations to take care that the laws be faithfully executed. Whatever the merits of that claim, it raises weighty questions of law and fact that the D.C. Circuit was wrong to brush aside. Most centrally, that the president's power is granted by the Constitution, which, as the supreme law of the land, overrides ordinary, generally applicable statutes. So it might be... Applicable to you or me or somebody else under statute is not generally applicable to presidents. The D.C. Circuit decision opened the door to all manner of constitutional crises. A former president could be prosecuted for ordering a military attack on an American affiliated with a foreign terrorist organization, even though such an order is clearly within his authority as commander in chief, they write. Now, I've brought that 
I've brought that argument up to you many times. That is the drone strike that was ordered, the, the killing of Anwar al-Awlaki, an American who was suspected of being a terrorist, and Obama ordered his death. And my point is, listen, all it takes is one U.S. attorney or one attorney general to come along and say, I think that was murder. I don't think the president had the right to order that. His constitutional rights, Anwar al-Awlaki's constitutional rights were completely ignored. He had no due process, and the president murdered him. Aggressive prosecutors motivated by ideology or partisanship could use capriciously worded criminal statutes, including those regarding mail or wire fraud, capriciously, excuse me, uh, racketeering, false statements and misrepresentations to challenge almost any presidential action, including those related to national security activities. As with civil suits, it isn't enough to say that the former president would have the opportunity to mount a defense in court. The mere possibility of personal prosecution for official actions would chill future presidential decisions. The D.C. Circuit casually disregards this danger, simply asserting that the public interest in prosecuting crimes is weightier than the risk of chilling impartial and fearless presidential action. It asserts that a president wouldn't be unduly cowed by the prospect of criminal liability any more than a juror or executive aide would be. That analogy is inapt because the president's responsibilities are much weightier than those of jurors or aides. He alone is the singular head of a constitutional branch of government. As the justices recognized in Nixon v. Fitzgerald, the greatest public interest is not in enforcing ordinary statutes against the president. Immunity is necessary to ensure he has the maximum ability to deal fearlessly and impartially with the duties of his office. The D.C. Circuit dismissed as slight the risk that former presidents will be politically targeted because prosecutors have, as they wrote, ethical obligations not to initiate unfounded prosecutions. The D.C. Circuit also said there are additional safeguards in place, including the requirement of seeking an indictment from a grand jury. Those arguments border on frivolous. Not all prosecutors are ethical. And even those who are may be overzealous. Many cases have featured prosecutorial misconduct or abuse. And the justices have surely heard the saying that a prosecutor can indict a ham sandwich. Lawyers in civil cases are also bound by ethical obligations, but that didn't change the case for presidential immunity in the court's ruling in 1982. Jack Smith, the special counsel in the Trump case, has asserted that federal prosecutors make decisions without regard to politics, but his conduct in this case bellies that claim, belies that claim. His chief argument against Mr. Trump's petition for a stay of the D.C. Circuit's decision denying his immunity was that such a delay would cause serious harm to the government and to the public. Jack Smith says the case presents a fundamental question at the heart of our democracy. Well, many Supreme Court cases raise such questions. And Jack Smith avoids saying what distinguishes this one. The obvious answer is the election timetable. Smith's demand for fast-tracking the Supreme Court's considerations thus contradicts the D.C. Circuit's suppositions about prosecutorial ethical probity. Trying Mr. Trump the all but certain Republican nominee for president before the election is inconsistent with section 9-27.260 of the Justice Department's Justice Manual, 
which makes clear that prosecutors, quote, may never make a decision regarding prosecution or select the timing thereof for the purpose of affecting any election or for the purpose of giving an advantage or disadvantage to any candidate or political party. The question of presidential immunity is an important one for our constitutional democracy of separated government powers, and the D.C. Circuit made a grievous error in disposing of it so casually. The justices were right to halt the proceedings until they can give the issue the careful consideration it deserves. This is written by two people. One served in the Justice Department under Reagan, and the other one served serves as a constitutional law professor and um, <clears throat> was, a, um, I believe, a former judge. Now, look, I agree wholeheartedly with that. And at issue here, you have to realize, is the three-circuit, is the three-judge panel on the D.C. Circuit Court and their findings and their rulings. And what they essentially found here was that, don't worry about it, even though we know this could theoretically open up the door to other presidents being prosecuted, don't sweat it, kids, because most prosecutors are good, decent people who would never do such a thing. Let's not forget that Jack Smith got slapped by the Supreme Court in a unanimous ruling when he charged a governor with bribery, and the court overturned that conviction of Bob McDonald in a unanimous ruling. He's an overzealous prosecutor. And we've seen many overzealous prosecutors over the years trying to make names for themselves, particularly by going after politicians. You don't think that going after an ex-president would be the ultimate get? Oh, my. I mean, come on. You want to make a name for yourself and you're a U.S. attorney? Think about it this way, right? When Chris Christie was the United States attorney for, for New Jersey back in the early aughts, he went after corrupt public officials up and down the state. He got like 150-something convictions. Now, several of those convictions were overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court. Don't forget, though, that Chris Christie used his, uh, his, his corrupt politician-busting resume to launch his run for governor. I mean, he, he was praised by the New Jersey Star-Ledger. The Newark Star-Ledger wrote an op-ed that Chris Christie has already done more for the state of New Jersey than anyone else. He used that to launch his run for governor. You don't think a U.S. attorney with eyes on the governor's office or a Senate president would, wouldn't love to go after a former president of the United States, get a criminal conviction, or even just get a charge, even just get the guy in court? And, and, and where do you stop, too? I mean, where does, it, where does it end in terms of what you can go after a president for? So, no, I, if, if you that's the ultimate. I mean, that's the holy grail of, uh, of, of, of politics right there. Going after and prosecuting a former president. It would be it would be never ending. I got news for you. Most United States attorneys general believe that they can become president someday. Most United States attorneys, for whatever district that they are appointed to, they all believe they can one day become the governor, the senator. Most of them wind up running for that office at some point congressmen, whatever. These things are massive stepping stones for political power. And it's not just Chris Christie. Remember, we also had New York, um, excuse me, we also had state attorneys general who also launched their political careers. Kamala Harris was the attorney general of California. Andrew Cuomo was the attorney general of New York, I believe. 
Elliot Spitzer was the attorney general of New York. Cuomo was the attorney general of New York, right, Matt DeSantis? I know the love gov. I sometimes, uh, his resume is so extensive, but I do believe he was, in fact, the attorney general of New York, correct? I think he, was, he went after Wall Street a lot, didn't he? Uh, I am actually not sure. I'll check right now. I, I, I'm pretty sure he was. And I think he did a lot of groping in that office, if I'm not mistaken. But either way, you get the point. State attorneys general launch careers for governor. United States attorneys general launch careers for the presidency and higher office. They use these things as way. I mean, think of some of the things that they do. The New York attorney general, Letitia James, is going after Donald Trump on a victimless crime of of inflating his assets. Now she's going after a meat company. They go after energy companies. They go after gun manufacturers. These people are, are, are political animals. You don't think they'd love to get the, the big one? Frame that right above their bar like the uh, gigantic fish at Hemingway's at the Grand Hotel? This is our happy hour sponsored by our friends at the Grand Hotel of Cape May, New Jersey, where we'll be for our first live show of the year on Friday, May 3rd. They got a bigger fish. Big fish above the bar at Hemingway's. I don't know what kind of fish it is, a marlin or something. I don't know. It's stuffed. Point is, they would love to get that head on their mantle. That former president's head, they'd love to have that on their mantle. They would do it just to make a name for themselves. He was the attorney general. Thank you. From 2007 to 2010, right after Elliot Spitzer. The LevGov used that to launch his political career for governor of New York. And then ultimately, he wanted to run for the presidency. And he still might. Guy's got it. He's got some political life left to him. The LevGov will make a comeback at some point. And then we have overzealous prosecutors. Remember the Duke lacrosse case, ring a bell? So the idea that you can say that former presidents can be criminally charged for the actions of their office would be insanity. And the court needs to strike that down. Plus, and these, this is something that the two don't mention in their article it's an excellent piece, but they neglect to mention. We also have this pesky thing called the impeachment clause. And, and within that pesky thing called the impeachment clause, it already empowers a legislative body to be able to adjudicate if they believe the president has broken the law. And don't forget, Donald Trump was impeached for January 6th, and he was acquitted by the Senate. So if nothing else, you can argue that Congress already heard this and found that he was not guilty and acquitted him. Now, this would not count as standard double jeopardy if it were to enter the criminal court system, but it would certainly violate the spirit of the double jeopardy clause in the Constitution. It would 100% violate the spirit of double jeopardy. President's already been tried for this, and he was acquitted. By the only power, by the only body within the Constitution that has the constitutional authority to charge presidents with crimes, the House of Representatives, and by the only body that has the ability to try presidents for the crimes they are charged with by the House of Representatives, the United States Senate, and they acquitted him. So there is no question in my mind that George Stephanopoulos, the unbiased journalist, is 100% wrong when he says the court is going to come out and say Trump does not have immunity. See, the Trump derangement syndrome does not let these people see through the problem that they're creating by saying, well, it's different because January 6th was outside the scope of his office. Well, now you're going to get into a whole other can of worms, which is define what is a president's uh, actual, when, when, when a president is actually acting as president or not. Good luck with that. Good luck trying to figure that out, too. So now the Supreme Court's going to make that determination. What counts as an official presidential duty and what doesn't? 
No, that's that is way beyond the scope of the court. And this court is not going to want to deal with that. Not this court. No, they like narrow rulings and their narrow ruling is going to say that's left to Congress. That's not left to us. The Congress has the power to make that determination. They've got to decide if the president is acting within his office or not. It's why we have the impeachment clause. It's not up to us to determine what are presidential acts and what aren't when a president is acting in his official capacity or not. We can't make that determination because you're always the president. You don't get a day off. I mean, look, Biden gets a lot of days off, but he's still always the president. And the guy works like, you know, what, a third of the year, but he's still the president. He still has the national command authority. You, you, it, unless you are removed by the 25th Amendment, or unless you remove yourself as president because you're undergoing surgery or something like that, like Jed Bartlett did in the West Wing, you are the president. You have the national command authority. You're always president. Whether you're on the golf course, whether you're on the beach, whether you're eating jello, you're the president. It doesn't change. So how do you distinguish between official acts of the presidency and unofficial acts of the presidency? I mean, if I go into Wawa and I order a sandwich, I'm, I'm ordering that as the president of the United States. It may not be my official job to order a sandwich, but I'm still the president. So now if I steal that sandwich, can I get arrested and charged with shoplifting? Well, first of all, they don't charge people with shoplifting in this country anymore. But no, the answer to that is no, I can't. Because as president, I cannot be subject to criminal laws the same way everybody else can. You can't charge me. I'm the president. You can't. So now Congress has to decide if I should be impeached for stealing a freaking, you know, shorty hoagie. It's just basic. It's very common. It's very, it's, it's understandable to everybody to meet the eye because maybe the president was given that sandwich as a gift. I don't know. But now I'm an overzealous prosecutor. I'm going to say the president stole that sandwich. I don't, I mean, I reviewed the tape. I don't remember them giving you that hoagie. He says, what are you talking about? I, I was president. I walked in, they handed me the sandwich. I walked out. I didn't pay for it. I didn't think I had to. I was, uh, I, they gave me a hoagie. I'm president. I mean, presidents get free food all the time. Like every, every, every president goes to Pat's and Geno's. I don't know why they do that, but they, they, you know, there's obviously different places to go, but you know, they never pay for their food. Everybody always gives them stuff. So what's going to happen? You're like Larry Krasner now charging Donald Trump because he didn't pay for a cheesesteak at Geno's. Like, give me a freaking break. Like, stop it already. Enough. It's so stupid, but you can go down this crazy rabbit hole and you'll never come out of it. I'm telling you, you'll never come out of it because the line that all it takes is just one overzealous lunatic prosecutor to just try to make a name for himself. Even if he doesn't get a conviction, he'll be a hero to the other party. Look, if I'm a Republican and I'm running for and I'm the United States attorney for for D.C. or whatever, say up New Jersey, it doesn't matter. Really, the jurisdiction doesn't seem to be an issue anymore. Letitia James is going after a meatpacking company in, in Wisconsin. So now I'm the New Jersey United States attorney. Trump's appointed me to that position. And I decide I'm going to charge former President Joe Biden with um, with with aiding and abetting uh, the car thefts that are happening in the state by all the illegal immigrants and the drugs. And I'm going to charge him with aiding and abetting and blah, blah, blah. I hold a big press conference. I announce federal charges. I get a grand jury indictment against them. It doesn't matter if I get a conviction. I'm a freaking hero. I just charged Joe Biden criminally for his neglect and incompetence in office. I'm a hero. I can write my ticket. Um, I'm sorry, Matt. What are you What are you jumping in here to say now? I was just saying that uh, Krasner can't get Donald Trump for stealing a cheesesteak at Pat's because 
Donald Trump bought his cheesesteak, and he bought everybody else a cheesesteak while there. Other presidential candidates, I, I yeah, I think they just get it for free. Mm. Trump you have treated the everyone, though. <laughs> you, have the, yeah. you sure about that? You have the receipts to prove I, it? I don't know. I don't personally have the receipts. Okay. All right. Let me, I'll give you another example. What if a presidential candidate buys every single person but forgets to pay for it? It's like, I got this, right? Takes everybody to KFC to get the cheesa. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> You've had this in my show sheet every day this week, so I'm going to finally bring it up just to make thank you happy, you. okay? Thank you. Thank you. A fried chicken pizza mashup. To me, this is more of an insult and cultural appropriation. This is worse <laughs> than pineapple on a pizza. This is disgusting. I, I've left it on that show sheet for at least, I guess it has been on there since Monday. I yeah. needed your reaction to it. It's disgusting. It's a cheesa. It's a fried freaking chicken pizza thing combination. It's, it's, it's a cultural appropriation of my people <laughs> and my food, and I don't like it. Well, I'm hesitant to tell you this next part because I feel like it's really going to fire you up. But You ate it. I didn't try it, no, but people are saying it's like KFC's version of chicken parm. Ugh. <laughs> Fried chicken topped with mozzarella cheese and pepperoni slices. Ugh. And tomato sauce. Don't forget the sauce. Ugh. Looks disgusting. <laughs> People say it's good. All right, so if I bring everybody there and my, my, I do a campaign stop, I'm, pre, I'm, I'm president, I bring everybody in, I get cheeses for everybody, and I forget to pay on the way out the door. I just forgot. You know, and they, they were like, oh, we're just happy the president's here trying this disgusting thing, so we don't really care. You know what I mean? And now I get charged with, with theft because I stole cheeses. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so now the state attorney general or, or maybe the uh, district attorney charges me with theft. As a former president, I got I to gotta go to criminal court now and explain why I didn't pay for the cheeses. The bigger question is, why the hell would you bring people to eat one of these things? That's the bigger question. Yeah, I can't imagine you're getting a very big crowd. Disgusting. Disgrazia is what that is, as we say, my people. Hey, speaking of fried chicken, Stephen A. Smith blasted Biden for sitting down and having fried chicken with a black family and uh, made, the, made the point that if Biden did, if President Trump did this, there would be so much outrage over this. Uh, <laughs> take a listen. Because, ladies and gentlemen, if we're being fair... If we saw Donald Trump sit down in a black household, eat fried chicken with a father and a son, what would we say? We what? What would we say? What would we say? You know, folks out there would be calling it racist. Well, if it's racist for him, and I'm not saying it would be, but if it's racist for him, why wouldn't it be racist for Biden? Oh, he's fired up. It's a good point he makes. I can't disagree with him. But why isn't it racist to eat a cheesa because now you're offending uh, Italian-Americans? That's my question. Disgusting. So I'm guessing there's no way you're ever going to try it. No, I'm not. And I'm not putting pineapple on my pizza when I when I make it in my pizza oven. Yeah, that I, I, I'm out on that, too. But no, that's another, it's another disgrazia. You know what I mean? It's another disgrace of my people. <laughs> Tired of it. Have you ever tried it, the, uh, the pineapple on the pizza, or is it just a no-go from the thought of it? No, I never tried it. Why would I try it? I don't I, know. I, just asking. No, I will. I refuse to try. I, I would. You know what I try first? I would try heroin first before I would try <laughs> pineapple on a pizza. <laughs> 
I'm just saying, maybe yeah, maybe give it a try. Maybe it's good. I, no, why don't you get disgusting. me some pineapple on pizza? Is horrible, disgusting, very, right, very Sean? Horrible. horrible. Would you eat that cheese though? That chicken fried chicken pizza? Chicken nonsense? tenders with pizza sauce Ugh. on it? Nah, I, I'll leave that alone. Eat too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want that. I do no. not want the chicken tenders and pizza. <laughs> why do we keep doing these things in America? I don't understand it. Can't we leave good enough alone? You know what I mean? I swear, these restaurants are just creating stuff so that it'll go viral on social media and have no intent on actually selling the item beyond that. You're probably yeah, right about that. Definitely, definitely. I saw one uh, that came up with Burger King. Burger King is actually uh, trying to get people to create their own burger, and they try to make it go viral. Oh, where you get to go make your own burger, and then you get to make the, the, the burger go viral. That's You get to do that yourself? Yeah, and uh, they said that they're supposed to give out a cash prize, but we don't know what the cash prize amount is. Mm. But it's something. I don't mm. know if the burger's going to be good. They just said make it creative. Well, I'll tell you what. <clears throat> These days, everybody wants to be famous on social media. So I, nothing would surprise me right now if somebody you know goes down this road of trying to come up with something really wacky and silly and everything like this. The best thing I've seen in a while, though, is pork roll on a burger. That that is that is the way to go. Have you ever ever had that pork roll on a burger with no, a fried egg on it? One. Well, you know, listen, gentlemen. Not only that, but I have made pork roll, egg, and cheese breakfast pizza. Hmm. That sounds good. That sounds it's real good. damn good. Sunday morning, you're a little bit, uh, you know. Yeah. I have a, a breakfast-related question. Where does the Rich Zioli show fall on Scrapple? Not not a big fan of Scrapple. I'm not oh, going to like it. I like it. Do you? It depends yeah. on what I eat it with. I might like it. It depends. Yeah. What happens if you don't pay for Scrapple, though, and you wind up getting arrested by a rogue prosecutor? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hell-bent on making a point out of you, right? <laughs> Just saying. Um, Joe Biden got $40,000 from China, and that is a bombshell that just came out, according to a uh, an interview that was, Joe Biden got $40,000 from China funds. His brother James admits in a bombshell impeachment interview. That story just broke a short time ago. I'll share that with you. Uh, and the Hunter Biden testimony behind closed doors, there's a lot coming out about that as well. Biden's got some problems, some big ethical problems, as we wrap up 30 Minutes of Nonstop Talk brought to you by our friends at the Grand Hotel of Cape May, New Jersey. My happy place. Go see them. And uh, they have a wonderful spring break special for the kids as well. But I'll tell you about more Biden corruption, what Trump had to say on the border yesterday, some things you didn't get a chance to hear. But I also want to tell you about uh, Natural Lawn of America because they are my lawn care company and they are fantastic what they do. That is that they will give you greener grass with fewer weeds guaranteed. Natural Lawn of America. Choose my lawn care company. I've been using them for years. It is the safer alternative for your lawn than all those harsh chemicals that all the other companies use. And what's different about Natural Lawn of America is it's based on your specific lawn. You see, your lawn's different. It has different needs. Their technicians work to figure those needs out. And that's why the results are greener grass with fewer weeds guaranteed. Here's the best part. Right now for a limited time, when you call Natural Lawn of America and sign up for their program, they will seed your lawn every year for free. 
That free seating every year is going to make sure that that lawn is healthy and thriving and you will be happy. Just call 1-800-FREE-SEED. 1-800-FREE-SEED. Choose my lawn care company, Natural Lawn of America. It's safer for your pets, safer for the kids, and you'll love the lush, thick green lawn. You'll be the envy of the neighborhood. Natural Lawn of America. Call now to get the free seed. 1-800-FREE-SEED. Natural Lawn of America. It's the Rich Seattle Show. Live from the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Before the show's over tonight at 7, so let's get right to it. This is a big story brought to you by Dr. Mike Venaria, VenariaDental.com, V-A-N-A-R-I-A, VenariaDental.com. A couple things I want to bring to your attention. Uh, there are more calls now growing for the Federal Bureau of Investigation to launch a criminal investigation into California Governor Gavin Newsom, or Gavin Newscum as Donald Trump called him, <laughs> after an explosive story published this week said that Newsom created an, an, an unusual special carve-out in a piece of legislation that benefited one of his top donors, who's the guy who runs Panera Bread. The minimum wage law, they got exempted from it, and the guy gave him a ton of cash, and he's an old buddy of Gavin Newsom's. And so now there are more calls right now to investigate this. Republican Assemblyman Joe Patterson calling for outside investigation into Newsom's ties to billionaire Panera franchisee, even going as far as to say the FBI should be involved, as there is now a potential recall effort against Gavin the Hare Newsom. Uh, Donald Trump is now leading Biden in seven of the swing states that actually matter, all seven. The Bloomberg News Morning Console poll found Biden trailing Trump in several critical states, Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, North Carolina, Nevada, and Wisconsin. I'll say that again. Trump is winning in Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, North Carolina, Nevada, and Wisconsin. Those are the states that matter. Trump has leads in all of them. Joe Biden got $40,000 from China funds, according to his brother James. First brother James Biden confirmed during his impeachment inquiry testimony that a $40,000 check made out to former Vice President Joe Biden in 2017 used funds James received from a Chinese government-linked company, while James also revealed he received overseas income as recently as last year. The company, CEFC China Energy, was controlled by Beijing, and uh, he insisted that he didn't believe that at first. It was a mistake when he told the IRS that um, first son, Hunter Biden, who was partnering with his uncle, um, that when he told them it didn't come from China, he said he misspoke. 
Where did you believe the source of that money that was going into Hunter Biden's company, Owasco, prior to being sent to you was coming from? An investigator asked James during the February 21st interview, according to an official transcript released today. This is breaking news. CEFC, James conceded, following an extended back and forth in which the first brother's attorney, Paul Fishman, tried to argue that money's fungible before being reminded by a House staffer that James did not have sufficient funds to make the $40,000 alleged loan repayment on his own. So it is traceable. The interview also established that James Biden received $840,000 over four transfers between November 2022 and July 2023 from Argentinian businessman Jose Luis Manzano, which the first brother said came from selling half of his stake in Manzano's holding of Argentinian national gas company Metrogas. And this is some of the stuff that's coming out now. A lot more is going to come out on this next week, but it backs up the claims by Tony Bobolinsky that the Bidens were on the take from China. All right. So that's all coming out now and um, pretty interesting. Also, I wanted to let you know that the Amish farmer who was raided by the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture uh, inside the courtroom today, this was reported by Wall Street Apes. They had a full hearing and the government was unable to produce any evidence that any person in Pennsylvania or anywhere in the world had ever been harmed by any product of Amos Miller. He's the farmer who was raided by, you remember, the Pennsylvania State Police and the Department of Agriculture. That means they've had all these years to investigate. They've been able to cross-check every pathogen that exists known to man. And at the end of it, what they came up with is not a single consumer of any of his products has had any complaints against him. You're talking about millions of products, thousands of Americans, and all of them uniformly, all the ones that testified, Almost 400 people signed statements under penalty of perjury that they desperately need what Amos Miller provides for their health, for their family's health, for religious and politically expressive purposes, for things that are supposed to be protected under the Constitution. The only credible expert witness testified that she thought there was no risk of any harm from Amos Miller's products and that, in fact, they were of critical benefit to people, not only those who testified, but to those who haven't yet had the joy of having products from Amos Miller's organic farm. It's got to the point that the state of Pennsylvania thinks they should have a complete monopoly on all food everywhere, and if it's in your fridge, they can come in and take it, steal it, destroy it, because they didn't give you permission to eat it first. That's what this is about. We're going to find out how much the court considers those issues and whether or not it's at least going to give some relief to the punitive injunction that right now is crushing Amos Miller and is putting people at risk of real harm because they can't get the food they need from it. There's a rally that's coming up to support him, and um, I'm glad so many people have reached out to back him and have his back. Here's a little bit more of Fawny Willis's uh, attorney today in court. This guy was a mess. He really is a mess. Here's the first part where he forgets her name, forgets phony willis's name confused i guess it's confusing because we've heard so much about their romantic relationship uh take a listen uh, as well as uh, large scale cases like this one and much larger um and they also uh, there's a lot of high profile prosecutions if miss wade's or excuse me miss willis's ultimate <laughs> goal by hiring mr wade was for her financial benefit then she would put mr wade on every single one of those cases uh, here's a little bit more of him, uh, 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 I guess, uh, 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 I guess, uh, take a listen. The of which was never, um, 
shown. Um, and all the while, um, Ms. Willis facing these costs has been able to continue to do the work unrelated to this case, uh, which is shown in the fact that um, Atlanta's murder rate and violent crime rates have decreased while she has been in office. What was shown through the testimony of all of the witnesses and through the evidence um, that Your Honor heard was that there wasn't an actual conflict, that the defense failed to provide any sort of actual conflict uh, in relation to uh, Ms. Wade's, uh, I guess, the relationship uh, that uh, transpired um, from uh, the relationship between her uh, and Mr. Wade, and that there was absolutely no evidence of a financial uh, benefit that she gained uh, as it relates to the prosecution um, of this case and the ultimate outcome of the case. Um, the corroboration of all of that is the things that Your Honor is very much aware um, that she could have, uh, I guess, financially benefited from uh, stretching out the case, uh, for lack of better words, by uh, the, grand or the special grand jury recommended that 39 individuals be indicted. But uh, through her sifting through uh, the special grand jury's uh, report and all of the evidence with uh, the team uh, that indicted the case, uh, they only uh, went with uh, 19 of the defendants, which had she gone to 30, gone with all 39, there's, uh, based on the defense counsel's assertions, um, would have given her the opportunity to certainly uh, find these uh, financial gains uh, that are claimed uh, through the allegations of defense counsel. And here's him uh, trying to mount the defense for the guys who were accused of murder in my cousin Vinny. Uh, take a listen. Uh, all right. Mr. Uh, 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 Tipton. Now, when you viewed my clients, how, how, how far away were you? About 50 feet. Oh, now, nah. do you think that that's close enough to make an accurate... Identification? Yes. Mr. Tipton, I see you wear eyeglasses. Sometimes. Well, would you care to show those eyeglasses? The <laughs> uh, guy's so bad. Uh, Republicans are now looking to probe the FBI's sudden about face on the confidential source that they've now arrested. I, I've been making this point to you all week, which is this. Could you imagine if Trump's Justice Department had arrested somebody who made a claim against Donald Trump? If you had a confidential human source working with the government and made a claim about Trump and then Trump's own FBI arrested that person, it would be a national outrage. It would be calls for his impeachment. There would be probes opened. I mean, it would be impeached. Be, he would be impeached again. No question about it. Well, this guy who was arrested and House Republicans are now demanding the FBI turn over records related to the federal government's indictment of a once trusted confidential human source according to a joint congressional letter shared exclusively with The Federalist. On Friday, House Oversight Chairman James Comer and Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan sent the letter to FBI Director Christopher Wray to request documents related to Special Counsel David Weiss's indictment of confidential human source Alexander Smirnov. Smirnov was charged two weeks ago for allegedly making false statements about President Joe Biden's involvement in a criminal bribery scheme with a Ukrainian oligarch. Republican lawmakers, however, are left with questions about the FBI's sudden about face on the source they once highly regarded. 
Prior to the indictment, the FBI allowed Mr. Smirnov to serve as a confidential human source for over 14 years and earn a six-figure income while maintaining extensive and extremely recent foreign intelligence contacts. Only after Mr. Smirnov reported that President Joe Biden accepted a bribe from a Ukrainian energy company in exchange for using his official position to oust the Ukrainian prosecutor general, did the FBI apparently take a hard look at this confidential human source. The 43-year-old Smirnov pled not guilty to charges of fabricating the multi-million dollar bribery scheme, which was outlined in an FD-1023 before Biden took office and is now at the heart of the impeachment inquiry. The Bidens, Smirnov said, pay, were paid $10 million to protect executives at Burisma from the prosecutors. Margot Cleveland, Margaret Cleveland, who is uh, she is the Federalist senior legal correspondent. She's a great investigative reporter. She said, if Smirnov lied to his handlers in June 2020 about his conversations with Burisma executives, the indictment is well deserved, she said. But in contrast to the Russia collusion hoax, which rested solely on the Steele dossier to paint Trump as a Putin patsy, evidence of Biden family corruption is comprehensive, diverse and comes from their own mouths, texts, emails and loyalists. The Hunter Biden laptop, which Weiss has confirmed is authentic, implicates Hunter, Joe, and Jim Biden in multiple influence peddling schemes. Bank records confirm the millions in transfers from Chinese communists, Romanians, Ukrainians, and others, including the wife of the former Moscow mayor, who amazingly avoided being included on the Biden administration's just-released tougher Russian sanction list. I told you that she's also the investigative reporter who pointed out that Everything in the special counsel's conclusions regarding Joe Biden and the classified documents points to Joe Biden having those classified documents in his possession when Hunter Biden was doing business with with Ukraine. And I'm telling you, this whole thing about Biden being a doddering old fool and just simply can't be prosecuted because no jury would find him guilty because he's just a forgetful old man hiding his Easter eggs is the cover up. It's the cover up of the fact of the matter that Joe Biden had classified documents and was using his son, was helping his son Hunter with those documents in violation of the Espionage Act. And we're all being distracted by the fact that they said Biden's hiding his own Easter eggs. Kevin's in Bucks County. Kevin, how are you, sir? Hello. How What's are you? What's up, Kevin? Good. How are you? Um, good. I have one book I'd love to suggest to everybody. Zell Miller, a national party no more, the conscious of a conservative Democrat. It's about 20 years old. He was the senator and governor of Georgia at one point. But mainly I'm calling, I think McCormick is going to have a real tough road to hoe against um, Casey for four points. So if you allow me. Uh, one. Casey's the incumbent. Two, a person is smart and sheeple are stupid. Three, there's the abortion issue. And four, McCormick lost out to Oz in the primary. He lost yeah, to but Oz. it was close, though. It was close. And yeah, Trump backed Oz. Trump was backing Oz. So that was, that was the reason why. 
Yeah, I guess. But, so, uh, you know, I, look, I'm going to vote for him regardless. But I, I think the whole it's, it's going to be a me, Kevin. It's going to be a fight. No, no doubt about it. But, you know, it. I think he's a strong candidate. And I think that the abortion issue is is something that is being way overblown here. I don't I don't think the average voter is thinking about it. It's something that we're told is a big issue. I do not think it's the issue everybody's making it out to be. Well, for me, with speaking to a lot of young women, it's huge. It's like their only thing front and center. It's like living rent free you know, in their mind. Um, but again, it depends on who we speak to. And um, last thing, look, I want to give you Morgan and Morgan law. It's yours. You can own it. I'm going to send it right to you. you know, Morgan and Morgan is, is, is already taken. You're talking about moron no. and moron. Yeah. More, well, moron and moron. And I have moron and moron law. I want to give you moron and moron law. All right. You're a good man. It's Kevin, thank you. I got to run. All right. Thank you. We'll, 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 we'll take it from you. You're, you're, I appreciate you doing that, Kevin. Thank you, buddy. Have a great weekend. 855-839-1210. We'll take it off your hands. No problem. Uh, Trump made the point of saying that um, Texas is a war zone now. We, we he said this to Hannity last night. I don't really have the, uh, the time to play it for you at this moment, but just just understand something right now. And that's 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 this. I'll get into this in the next hour. The Democrats, like Eric Adams and others, they're refusing to acknowledge that Joe Biden caused this crisis by undoing all the executive actions that Donald Trump put in place when Joe Biden undid all those executive actions by executive action. Joe Biden opened up the border and they're refusing to acknowledge this. But now Joe Biden has another problem to worry about, and that is this. Marianne Williamson has unsuspended her presidential campaign. That's right. She is back in the race now. She's a psychic, so she definitely saw this coming. But here's Marianne Williamson announcing that she is unsuspending her presidential campaign. She's running as a Democrat. Biden now, he should be worried. Cut 18. Hey, I have an important announcement to make. As of today, I am unsuspending my campaign for the presidency of the United States. Wow. I had suspended it because I was losing the horse race. But something so much more important than the horse race is at stake here, and we must respond. Right now, we have a fascist standing at the door. Everybody's all upset about it. Well, we should be upset about it. But we're not going to defeat the fascist by, well, by what? What is President Biden offering? He says, let's finish the job. Well, I hope you realize we're talking about millions of voters for whom they can't even survive unless they work at two or three jobs. What is he saying beyond, you know, the economy is really doing well. Are you kidding me? For whom? Well, listen, I don't disagree with her on that point. Although the fascist thing is a little bit tiring, isn't it? All right, we got a big six o'clock hour for you coming up. The Biden regime ratchets up its authoritarianism authoritarianism with the arrest of a Blaze investigative reporter. You want to talk about fascism? Fascism is putting journalists in jail who write about January 6th, like what they just did, what they just did today. Um, fascism is uh, arresting a confidential human source who uh, alleged the president of the United States States took a bribe and then having the FBI arrest them, arrest that person to destroy the credibility of the case. That that's fascism, Marianne Williamson. And we're living through fascism right now. We're watching it play out in this country live in real time. Fourth and final hour straight ahead. Uh, Cherry Hill Vavo on Route 70 in Cherry Hill. My great friends over there, Judith Krupnik, the entire team, they'd love to see you. And this is a wonderful time to get the Cherry Hill Vavo because they have an amazing special for you. How about a beautiful 
S60 courtesy Volvo for less than $29,000 with less than 5,000 miles on it. It's a beautiful car. It's made right here in the United States of America. And Cherry Hill Volvo is proud to be our station sponsor. We broadcast live from the Cherry Hill Volvo studios. So don't forget that when it comes to showing loyalty to our friends and our sponsors, there's no one better than Cherry Hill Volvo. All the other Volvo dealerships out there, they're the best. And the closest one, too, to our region, right on Route 70 in Cherry Hill. And they will work to give you the absolute best incentives, the most aggressive pricing possible. That's what they're known for and the luxury experience that you deserve. So whether it's the S-Class or maybe the XC60, the new Volvo SUV that I have, I love it. It's fast, it's spacious, got a ton of cargo room. Or the XC90 with the third row, great for the kids, the beautiful family car. Either way, you'll have a wonderful experience at Cherry Hill Volvo because relationships matter at Cherry Hill Volvo. They really do. So go see them today. Right on Route 70 in Cherry Hill. And how about a beautiful S60 courtesy vehicle with less than 5,000 miles on it? And it could be yours for less than $29,000. Don't miss out on that opportunity. You'll love driving the S Class. I drove it for five months and I loved it. It's a beautiful, beautiful, fast car with all the latest technology. All the bells and whistles. Cherry Hill Volvo is where relationships matter. They prove that every single day. So go see them today. Cherry Hill Volvo. Big trouble in Fulton County, Georgia. The case of Fawny's Fanny and Nathan Wade. And whether or not Fawny and Nathan were together prior to hiring Donald Trump, I'm going after Donald Trump, hiring him, hiring Nathan Wade to go after Donald Trump, the answer seems to be at least this. A reasonable person could certainly conclude these two were, and the clinical term here, I'm going to use the clinical term, uh, knocking boots. And they were knocking boots prior to Nathan Wade's appointment. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here. Our fourth and final hour on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD on Twitter at Rich Zioli. It's Friday, Friday night. Hopefully the pizza's on its way and you and your family will have a great weekend. Uh, we will be christening the Zioli pizza oven this weekend. And let me just say for the record, building a backyard pizza oven is not that expensive. It doesn't have to be. And we still love supporting local pizzerias. We do it all the time. But it's uh, it's my hobby. Like making pizza, making wine, making mozzarella. Not mozzarella, but mozzarella. Uh, cooking Sunday pasta. These things are my hobbies. I love to cook. It's what I love to do. Some guys golf. Some guys fish. Some guys play athletic competition type things. This guy, your guy, me, I like to cook, and we involve the kids with it. You know, the, the, the saying, the family that eats together stays together. The family that prays together stays together. We usually, we always, we always pray, you know, before we eat, eat dinner together, obviously. Sunday dinners are big in my family. And for Patrick, Claire, and Reagan, getting to take part in the process is a lot of fun. So they help me make the dough. They help me stretch the dough. They each get to make their own pizzas. It's like when we make pasta, too. You know, they get to stretch the, uh, the, the macaroni. You know, they stretch the noodles out and... It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a very enjoyable thing. I also make wine, as you know. I make wine with my friends. We have to stay under the – they actually have laws about how much wine you can make before you uh, violate federal bootlegging laws. And I, I guarantee you, not a drop over. <clears throat> we never would make a drop over what we're allowed to make by law, obviously. Um, anyway, uh, 
it's fun. It's a lot of fun. It's my hobby. But like I said, it's not that expensive to do, and it it, it is uh, enjoyable. But the pizza oven has to cure, and you got to cure it for about a week. It's like when you cure a a, um, a cast iron skillet, but much more in depth of a process. Every day you have to fire it up for longer periods of time until you get it ready. You're getting the moisture out. You're getting it ready for the heat, the temperature, which is going to get up to about 900 degrees. For the true pizzaola napolitan, uh, you know, requirements, if you were to make pizza according to the rules of, uh, of Napoli, which is where, of course, the pizza originates. Don't tell me China or any other nonsense. We all know it was Napoli. It was peasant food. It was peasant street food. Not fast food, like Greg Soccer said the other day, the scrazia. No, but peasant food. And, you know, you, they, a lot of times, like in Rome, they cut it with a scissor, you know, and they you get a piece. If you've never been to Italy, you should really go. I know Dom's doing a trip coming up. You should maybe join in with him. I will take the Zioli Army back to Italy. I'm hoping maybe next year or maybe Normandy. I don't know. Maybe both. Maybe we'll do both. Why not? It could be a lot of fun. But anyway, I think doing things together as a family is very important. And for us and our family, Sunday dinners in particular are just huge events. I'm Italian, obviously. So, I mean, you know, whether it's we're making a gravy, last week it was an Amitriana sauce, Bucatini alla Amitriana, which is, uh, uh, it's got like a spicier sauce. And to do that, you got to get good guancale, which is pig cheek. All right. If you can't find guancale, it's a little bit difficult to find. Uh, use pancetta. It's the lesser, but it'll still, you know, help you out in a pinch. A little crushed red pepper and boom, you got yourself a sauce. Delish, delicioso. Anyway, uh, and uh, cento olive oil, always with the cento. And the cento tomatoes, too, because you got to have the real stuff. You can't have fugazis. There's a lot of fugazis out there. Fugazi tomatoes, fugazi olive oil, there's a lot of fugazis. So you got to make sure you're doing the real thing. And I use the cento flour, the Anna, for my, uh, my pizza dough, too. Because it's the all their all their stuff is 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 the real deal. You're not gonna you're not gonna get any fugazis with that. Years ago, I remember there was a story how the uh, the Italian mob. I, I know it's shocking that they actually uh, still exist, right? The Italian mob was having uh, a lot of their uh, like the, the the tomatoes that were labeled San Marzano weren't really San Marzano, and there was a whole big thing about this and. I said at the time, what happens is that, you know, the, the, they go over to Italy and they say to the guy, they're like, uh, hey, are these the San Marzanos? And the guy goes, uh, yeah. You know, he pulls a Frank Pantangeli. He's like, yeah, San Marzanos, the real deal. And uh, you get him back to the States and you find out that they're not, they're not really San Marzanos. So Cento takes the time to make sure that it's the real deal. But I use the Anno, uh, the Anna Tipo 00, type 00 flour. That's what you got to use for a wood-fired pizza because you're getting the oven up to about 900 degrees. And if you're doing that, you got to make sure that the flour the, 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 can withstand it because pizza is the ultimate peasant food. Like I said, it is, the, it is the ultimate street food, the ultimate peasant food. But if you use other kinds of flours, you'll, you'll dry it out at that temperature. So if you're making it in the oven, they have two different kinds of, of Anna Tipo 00 flours. One is in a red bag. Use that if you're making it in the oven. Use the blue bag if you're making it in the wood-fired pizza oven. All right? That's your pro tip for the night. You're welcome, America. It's the least I can do. The least I can do to help you. But make sure you get the real deal. You got to use quality stuff. Can't stress that enough. You don't want fugazis. No fugazi tomatoes. Speaking of fugazis, uh, you know, these laws now to ban gas-powered vehicles, like in New York City, for example. Mayor Eric Adams pushing this. They're coming after your lawnmower. They're coming after your leaf blower. They're coming after all these things.
And the thing about these people that just just annoys the absolute heck out of me is they're they're not letting the free market dictate this. What they're doing is they're passing laws to mandate to shift the economy away from gas-powered vehicles by essentially making them illegal or so cost-prohibitive that you can't buy them or undercutting the price of EVs with government subsidies. And it infuriates me. And that's the big story of the hour brought to you by our buddy, Dr. Mike Venaria. Go see him today for your perfect smile. VenariaDental.com. V-A-N-A-R-I-A. VenariaDental.com. Dr. Mike is the man, a great friend of the show, and he will give you the perfect smile. VenariaDental.com. Here's New York City Mayor Eric Adams talking about canceling gas-powered vehicles. Uh, I want to talk with EV piece first. Uh, you just put out a job creation plan. Part of that includes EV infrastructure. And you're doing, though, that at a time, in truth, when a lot of the major car manufacturers in the U.S. are actually pulling back on some of their EV ambitions. Uh, EVs are here, electric vehicles are here, and they're going to be here. Uh, you're going to see a lot of laws shift and change to move away from fossil fuel. Uh, they're here. The problem is that if you build it, they will come. And the building is the EV charging stations. And so we have a real win-win here. If we uh, proliferate our cities with the charging stations, number one, you can employ uh, many uh, individuals who know how to install them, to prepare them, to fix them, to manufacture them. It will be a real job growth in a process. Then it's a win for our economy. We know our economy, right. our economy can take this boost and our environment. Uh, we, we were moving in the wrong direction in our environment. I think that EVs are the way to go. We're going to continue to expand faster charging. The technology is getting better and better as we continue to use it more and more. That's by the way. That's not that's not the economy doing anything. That's the government infusing something with money. That's not job creation. The government doesn't create jobs. If the government gives money for people to get jobs, it's not creating jobs. That's not a job creation. The private sector creates jobs. This is what the private sector does. But again, this is you know this is Eric Adams. This is the guy who's trying to give away uh, free money to illegal immigrants. Ten thousand dollar debit cards, and he's justifying it. You know, oh, this is a efficient process. I don't know about you, but I'd love a nice prepaid debit card to be able to buy my Cento tomatoes. Wouldn't you? I'm sure you would, right? Absolutely you but would. One of the things you are doing uh, is a, an experimental program uh, to provide debit cards with cash on the card. Uh, this has created an enormous controversy in the city among uh, some taxpayers who say, why are we paying and giving out this money uh, right. to these migrants? And isn't this only going to encourage more migrants to come to New York? Yes. And the reason it's created such controversy is because how it has been reported and distorted. Here's what we're doing. We are required to feed migrants and asylum seekers as well as everyone else in our homeless system. Uh, about 40,000 are in the homeless system that are not migrant asylum seekers. We're required to feed them. We're required to feed them. That's it. We're required to feed them. Well, you know, so so there you go, taxpayers. Suck it up, all right? And then people hear that, and then they think, if I come to America, well, they're going to feed me. They're going to house me. They're going to close me. They're going to do all those things. So great. Come to America. You'll be taken care of in every single way. I mean, this is the reality of what we're talking about. This, this is the, the absolute uh, nonsense of the current Democrat Party right now. That you have a, a Democrat party that is looking to encourage people to come to this country illegally. And of course, Biden yesterday is saluting a tree, walking, shuffling like he just escaped from the, uh, from the Arkham Asylum old people wing. 
And then he's got the, the, the border guards trying to, like, hold him. It's like they're escorting Pops back to dinner, you know? It's like, come on, we got Jello, Jello and Pickleball. Like, he could play Pickleball. Stop it. Stop it, you crazy kids. I'm just kidding, Stu. Stu Bykovsky. I know Biden wasn't just saluting a tree. He was also saluting the birds in the tree, obviously. Probably the birds and the bees. But I tell you, it's uh, it's fascinating right now, the craziness in the Democrat Party. You know, the Pentagon hosted a, um, a, the United States Air Force Academy hosted a transgender Pentagon official to host a, uh, to give a speech on on inclusion, a symposium on inclusion. This is what our Air Force is, is prioritizing right now. It's not, it's not winning wars. It's not, you know, kicking ass across the world, making sure that America, I don't, not that I want America to be doing that around the world, but I want the world to think we can, at least. Instead, our enemies look at this and they laugh at us and go, wow. When you're not, when you're not uh, working on making sure that people don't say the words manpower or, or, or mother, you, you have these kind of inclusion seminars. And this is why our enemies are laughing at us. Take a listen. All too often, I hear leaders talk about providing... Every- this is a man identifying as a woman in an Air Force outfit um, giving this speech here. One with dignity and respect, like it's an aspirational goal. That's not good enough. Dignity and respect is the bare minimum. It's the floor of where we can be. We must set our sights higher and focus on intentional inclusivity because there are still far too many people out there, not just LGBTQ individuals, that feel marginalized, shut out, or discriminated against. So for all of you out there, I ask you to set out your symbols of pride, share your pronouns in your email, particularly if you're a person who doesn't think they need to, initiate difficult conversations about racial and gender barriers, and share a bit of a vo- your vulnerability in a way that draws others in. You all have the power to take intentionally inclusive actions to ensure the multiple perspectives that we know make us stronger as we devise winning war-fighting strategies get heard. War-winning strategies. Is that the new, is that the new uh, nomenclature the left's using? War-winning strategies? Why does the left always have to come up with, 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 with just more words than necessary? You ever notice that? Everything with them is more words than necessary. War-winning strategies. This is why our enemies are laughing at us, by the way, because this is our priority right now. Inclusion. Inclusion and diversity. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. So someday when we're all uh, waving the uh, Chinese red flag in our, uh, at our, outside our homes, like they proudly did in San Francisco to welcome their true leader, Xi Jinping, Remember the reason why, okay? Remember the reason why, because our military decided to focus on DEI over war-winning strategies. Because we have to have diversity, inclusion, and equity when we're developing war-winning strategies. And make sure that everybody in that foxhole, you better have the appropriate amount of DEI representatives. Because if I find out there's just four white dudes in that foxhole, we have a real problem. Better be at least four white guys, two transgender women, uh, two LGBTQ plus plus IA every letter of the alphabet individuals. Um, I, I, a dwarf. I li- I don't know if that's the correct term. An obese person, and and obviously we can't just have. They can't all be able-bodied people either, because that would be discriminatory as well. All right. Okay. Good. You know, it was a disgrace, a disgrazia, as I said. Nikki Haley. 
She's the worst. I mean, she is the worst. I'm so tired of this of this uh, of this person, this fake, this fugazi Republican. Nikki Haley is arguing that the Supreme Court should quickly decide against Trump because no president should ever be above the law. Nikki Haley, once again, invoking the parlance of the left, sounding exactly like a Democrat, exactly like a Democrat in every single way, shape and form. Listen to this. We are just four days away from Super Tuesday when GOP voters in 15 states will pick a nominee. The last person standing in the race against Donald Trump is Nikki Haley. She hasn't won a contest yet, but today she announced she raised $12 million in February. Joining me now is Governor Haley. Thank you so much. It's great to see you in studio. Uh, I want to start with what's happening Uh, with Donald Trump today. He's back in Florida for one of the federal cases against him. Meanwhile, another, the January 6th case, the Supreme Court announced this week that it would hear arguments in April about whether or not uh, he will get his push for immunity. So this means that there's a very good chance that the trial, if it does go forward, won't happen until either right before or even during or maybe even after the election. Should the Supreme Court expedite this? Well, I think the Supreme Court should hear it because we do want to look at immunity. No president should ever be above the law. And, you know, we've never really had to clarify this before. And I think it's important for the Supreme Court to clarify it. You know, would we like to see things go faster? Of course we we would. But do you think the judges and the lawyers are going to have that happen? I don't know. I mean, wait, 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 wait. No president's above the law. What did Trump do wrong exactly, Nikki? What did Trump do wrong on January 6th? Nobody has really actually articulated that fact yet, so I'd like to know. What did Trump do wrong? And the Supreme Court is expediting this. They are The, the, the courts are moving at a break, breakneck pace. Uh, I'm sorry that Jack Smith is disappointed by that fact, that it's not moving fast enough for him. The courts are actually moving in a big, big, in a, in a, in a record pace right now to go and try to resolve all this. Give me a break. But don't forget something here, and that is that, of course, of course, the courts are going to find that the president has immunity from criminal prosecution. And they all know this, too. They know this. But the media is in the tank for Nikki Haley and Joe Biden. Oh, did you hear them cover for uh, for Joe Biden's uh, mental health? Yes, of course. Uh, no, no skepticism by the big three networks of ABC, CBS and NBC. They all invoke state run media to do their thing. And acknowledge that Joe Biden is as fit as a fiddle, fit for duty. Listen to this little compilation put together by our friends over at Newsbusters. President Biden undergoing his annual physical amid this presidential election year where age has become an issue for some voters. Selena, the president's doctor, saying he is, quote, uh, fit for duty. That's right, David. The president's doctor giving him a clean bill of health, saying today's exam found no new concerns. He calls the president a healthy, active, robust 81-year-old male who remains fit to successfully execute the duties of the presidency. Now, today's exam did not include a mental fitness test. The White House saying the president's doctors have determined he doesn't need one. And today, the White House telling me that the president proves his cognitive abilities every single day by doing his job. And we are learning new details tonight from President Biden's annual physical. The commander-in-chief's doctor says the 81-year-old is, quote, fit for duty. The report said the oldest president to hold office is healthy, active, robust, and occasionally coughs due to acid reflux. Ah. It said his stiffened gait was the result of arthritis, a Mm. previously broken foot, and neuropathy in his feet. In a letter released by the White House late today, his doctor said he is fit for duty without any exemptions or accommodations, noting he is receiving new treatment for obstructive sleep apnea and recently had a root canal. The president was asked about his medical visit today. 
His doctor says the president is fit to serve. He found no new health concerns over the Great. last year. He did say that the president is, quote, a healthy, active, robust 81-year-old. The annual exam did not, however, include a mental fitness test. His no. doctors didn't think it was necessary. No. And the White House argues the president passes a cognitive test every day uh. just by doing his job. Well, president thank Biden you. was declared fit for duty and overall healthy do you, I mean, do you, is this doctor. Is this not hysterical? This could be China, right? There is nothing different than Dear last leader, year. Dear leader, he's so healthy. Biden's gait has stiffened because of oh. age-related wear and tear of his spine. Nancy, are you hearing that people were surprised that he was not asked to take a cognitive test? Is that just no big deal? No, no big deal. I think people were wondering about it, but uh, apparently, according to his personal doctor and a neurologist, they didn't believe it was necessary. So he had a, oh. a whole host of other tests and examinations, but that was something they didn't feel that they needed to look at. In fact, the White House press secretary says he gets a cognitive test every day in the Oval Office. Every day. Based on the job that he does. Well, not, thank not quite you. the same. Not quite the same. Not. And the American people, they don't have MDs, but they yeah. will evaluate that ladder test that Nancy was talking about exactly. there. Right about that. Exactly right. Yeah, but I wonder if the media could actually, I don't know, I don't know, what's, what's the term for it? I don't know, investigate? Maybe do some investigative journalism on all this. All right, the case of Fanny's Fawny and Nathan Wade and uh, what's going to happen with that as the closing arguments have wrapped up officially today. And, uh, yeah, we're going to see if she will be disqualified next next week as a district attorney in Fulton County. So I'll give you all my analysis of that. Plus, the media doing their thing again and blaming Donald Trump for killing the border bill, which was not about our border. It was about sending money over Ukraine's border. But what do you expect from the corporate mainstream media? Nothing but to just carry the water for this administration. 855-839-1210 on a Friday night. Wait till you hear Mayor Eric Adams say, no, I don't think Joe Biden should reverse any of the immigration executive actions he took, which undid all of Donald Trump's executive actions. Straight ahead. The Zioli Show, on your schedule. From Talk Radio 1210 WPHT in the free Odyssey app. The case of Nathan Wade and Fawny's Fanny and when they started, and the clinical term, knocking boots. It's uh, wrapped up, the closing arguments, and the judge will make his decision, and I believe he will disqualify Fanny Willis uh, in due time. But you know what's amazing, though? Just getting back to the immigration thing for a second. There's there's two very important things I want you to note. Number one is, again, the media doing what the media always does, which is to blame Donald Trump for killing the border bill, which was not a border bill. It was about sending our money over the border in Ukraine. And New York City Mayor, Mayor Adam, <laughs> let me try that again. New York City Mayor Eric Adams who has been complaining over and over again about the influx of illegal immigrants into his city, but doesn't want to see any of the executive orders that Joe Biden has put in place, which undid all the executive orders of Donald Trump, which actually kept the border secure. He doesn't want to see any of that reversed. None of it. Take a listen. If you want to come here for a better life, come here. We want you to come. Then he rescinded, what, 90 executive orders uh, at that time. I mean, it's clear where the 7.2 million, I, I think we can at least ascribe some uh, cause and effect to those comments oh, and getting rid out, of all wimp. the executive orders. Yes. Do you think the president could reinstitute, put some of those executive orders with the sign of a pen back on? And would that help? Would you urge him to do that to, uh, to the, help the, your situation? 
The most important thing I believe we could do during this crisis is allow people to work. Uh, everyone who passed uh, through the Statue of Liberty uh, came here, and even if it was a menial job, it gave them the dignity and respect that everyone that here, here uh, deserves. They came uh, here President- legally through the Statue of Liberty, uh, Mr. Mayor. So the answer is no. He's not looking for Joe, Joe Biden to undo any of the executive actions that led to the wide open border crisis. Never. No, not looking to do any of that stuff. It's all good. Don't you worry about it. It's all fine. And the media, once again, carrying the water for Joe Biden, blaming Donald Trump. Good morning, Michael. Well, in these blaming Donald Trump for the today. President Biden and Donald Trump will outline their very different visions for mm-hmm. how to tackle this immigration crisis. The president is expected to meet with Border Patrol and local law enforcement and to good. once again blame Donald Trump for tanking that bipartisan border deal that would have included some of the toughest reforms in decades. That legislation would have imposed stricter asylum restrictions, included daily limits on border crossings and billions of dollars in new funding for security, but Donald Trump pressured Republicans to kill that bill to deny President Biden a political win. Donald Trump is also eager to run on this issue in November. He is already promising mass deportations if elected and ratcheting up his rhetoric. Today, Trump and Biden will make their case as they both look to own this issue in November, Michael. Amazing, Good morning, right? Michael. Well, in these rare dueling visits here to the border today, I, I, President I, I Biden and Donald the, Trump. I, I love, I'm sorry. I, I, I love the. Um, thank you for that. I love the whole notion of how uh, Biden's going to blame Trump, and the media doesn't come back and say, "But actually, in reality, people were trying to kill this bill long before Donald Trump weighed in on it." Because again, they don't do any fact checking. They don't do their job as members of the press because they're there to push the narrative. Exactly like Bill Maher said. The media in this country, the corporate media, is there to push the narrative. That's what they do. It's what they do. Now, you should also know, by the way, today, a guy uh, pled guilty in federal court to giving a Mercedes-Benz to Senator Bob Menendez of New Jersey. Businessman pled guilty today in the bribery case and agreeing to cooperate. Jose Uribe admitted providing a Mercedes to Senator Robert Menendez, a Democrat, to challenge or to try to influence an official act. Mr. Menendez, of course, has pleaded not guilty. He's a former New Jersey insurance broker, charging what prosecutors have described as a broad bribery scheme involving Senator Bob Menendez, and he pled guilty on Friday in Manhattan. Mr. Uribe has been accused of providing Nadine Menendez, a senator's wife, with a Mercedes-Benz in exchange for Mr. Menendez's efforts to intercede in an insurance fraud investigation in New Jersey. As part of his guilty plea, he also agreed to cooperate fully with prosecutors in their investigation. According to a former plea agreement signed by Mr. Uribe, his lawyer and prosecutors in the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York. He's expected to truthfully and completely disclose all information with respect to the activities of himself and others concerning all matters about which this office inquires of him. So it's uh, it's coming down for, for a gold bar Bob, coming down to the wire here. He admitted providing the car to Mr. Menendez with the intent to influence an official act as he pleaded guilty to seven counts, including conspiracy to commit bribery, honest services, wire fraud, obstruction of justice, and tax evasion. And sentencing is uh, June 14th. So uh, it's not good. Not good for Goldbar Bob. Now that somebody's turned around and said, you know what? I did it. I'm part of this. And the guy is guilty of sin. But we've always known Bob Menendez was guilty of sin. And they knew it too. The only reason why they went after him, I told you this, is because uh, Bob Menendez had the audacity to speak out against the Iran deal. 
He did he did so when Obama was president the first time, and he's doing so when Obama's president now, too. And for that reason, they decided to go after him. They decided to go after him, and that's the only reason. They knew the guy was corrupt for years. Everybody in New Jersey politics knew it. I'm telling you, you know, I'm still, I mentioned this earlier in the show today, but I'm still very fired up over the fact that they have arrested a journalist, Blaze Media investigative, investigative journalist taken into FBI custody for his reporting on January 6th, Steve Baker, investigative reporter for the Blaze, taken into custody, told by federal authorities to wear shorts and sandals when he turns himself into the FBI tomorrow morning. Uh, this is a tweet from Glenn Beck. Take a listen to this. This is, oh, this is amazing. It's just uh, so mentally how are you i have my moments um i'm okay i you know i've had i've had over two years to prepare for this i've game planned it all out in my head um i'm not going to sleep tonight i'm not even going to try uh it's, it it is my way anyway and so i'm just gonna you know prepare pray and uh and then i'm gonna put on my suit and tie Good for you. And walk in with my head up. Good for you. Good. For, I mean, I just, it's, uh, my heart breaks for this man. He's a journalist doing reporting on January 6th. We have an administration here that has turned the Justice Department into a police state, as you know. And this police state of America, where we have, if you make an allegation against the President of the United States, even though you were a confidential human source for the FBI for 10 years, you get arrested and the corporate media cheers it on. Imagine, I guess they just here. imagine if Donald Trump's Justice Department arrested somebody who made an allegation against the Trump family. Can you imagine the outrage, and rightfully so, from the corporate media? Nope, in this case, they're cheering it on. Good, get that, get that Russian, get that Russian plant without doing any due diligence to find out if the government's claim is correct or not. And obviously the only reason, and there's an active criminal investigation, I mean, there's an active criminal case against Hunter Biden in court. And instead of the media turning around and going, you know, this really may complicate the government's efforts here to find justice against Hunter Biden, they turn around, they cheer this on. They cheer this on. This is great. They're thrilled. They're happy about it. We do not have a media in this country. We have, as Bill Maher said, a group of people who are there to push the narrative. And that's why if you want the truth, you got to listen to talk radio. At least me. No, but our station, I mean, you got to listen. You got to go on the Internet. You got to find the sources you trust, the people you like, you, and, and the clips and the, and the stories that they post. You have to because it, the corporate media is out for one reason, and that reason is, of course, to push the narrative of whatever the Democrat Party wants and the government wants, too. That's what they do. I mean, that you, you can't get away from that fact. We, we have state-run media in this country, and we have a police state justice department. That's what it is. That's what we have. There's no doubting that. There's no denying that. There's no coming back from that. All right, quick break. We'll come right back. Uh, Encore presentation of the interview I did earlier today uh, with Cliff Maloney, How We Win Pennsylvania. This is incredibly important for you to hear. It's our game plan for how we can win Pennsylvania in 2024. So incredibly important. On this Friday, don't go away. Thanks for listening to the Seoli Show podcast from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT and the Odyssey app. It's the Rich Seoli Show, live from the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Talk Radio 1210 WPHT.
today. The um, hearing right now of Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade going on. Willis is at the hearing. If she takes the stand, we will certainly bring that to you live. No question about it. Um, it's a bit. It's a big news day for Friday. Uh, journalists arrested. Catherine Herridge being held in contempt of court. Um, so much to cover. Trump left court in Florida, so we're all over it for you. But we got to win Pennsylvania. That's the key. Welcome back to the show on Twitter at Rich Zioli. And the big story of the day today brought to you by my buddy, Dr. Mike Venaria, venariadental.com. Go see him today for your perfect smile. Two locations to serve you right over the bridge on route, um, right over the bridge in Cinnamonson and Woodbury. Dr. Mike Venaria, venariadental.com. We got to win Pennsylvania. If we don't win Pennsylvania, we're not going to win the presidency. Dave McCormick's going to be on the show later today. He's got to win the U.S. Senate seat. How do we do it? Can we do it? I know there's a lot of cynicism out there. Especially as we have questions regarding ballots and Democrats voting from the dead. Here to talk about it with me, my buddy Cliff Maloney Jr. He is founder of the Pennsylvania Chase, and it's great to have him on the show today. Cliff, my man, good to see you at CPAC last week. Rich, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me today. Hey, by the way, I got to ask you, uh, did you see any Nazis at CPAC when you were there? (laughs) Only the left-wing media telling us they were there. But no, I did not happen to see any of them. <laughs> I tell you, man, I was there for four days. I didn't see a single Nazi. I saw a lot of other things that made me uh, have my head turn, but not, not any Nazis. Yeah, I know it's always good to come together and kind of talk through, uh, you know, strategy and see a lot of the big names and get people excited. Um, but it is quite funny when you, when you see how they spin it and they always pull, you know, some fringe character, some fringe comment and make it out to be that the whole event was about that. You know, not all the, the great work that people are trying to come together and do. And the guy that they're talking about was not a CPAC attendee, was not a speaker, was not on a panel. He was just some dude at a bar in the Gaylord Hotel, which is a huge, massive hotel open to the public. And they used that guy to say that it was like a, like a Nazi convention. These people in the media are the absolute freaking worst. They, they really are, Cliff. Yeah, no, and it's I, at this point, I kind of get a laugh out of it, right? You, you kind of see what they take, how they spin it. And I think the best part, Rich, though, is so many people are just waking up to just the constant barrage of nonsense. You know, any story over, I mean, really any major story uh, that you saw uh, put out there over these last, I would say, four to six years. I mean, public opinion on it, I kind of like where we're headed. Most people realize that it's just a bunch of baloney. So, Cliff Maloney, tell us about the Pennsylvania Chase, PHase.com. Tell us about your project. Yeah, so I told you last time I was on the show, you know, we've launched the Pennsylvania Chase as an effort to really combat what I would call uh, a failure for Republicans, uh, myself being a Republican, so I'm owning up to that, but a failure for Republicans to match the Democrats' tactics at mail-in ballots. So as your listeners know, Pennsylvania now has 50 that's five zero fifty days of mail-in ballots. And as much as I love voting on Election Day, um, the rules that we currently have, you know, allow for Democrats to pretty much say, look, we're going to have 50 different election days. And Republicans, you know, since 2020, we've said, hey, everybody focus on Election Day. Well, that's one opportunity, you know, so we're down 50 to one in terms of opportunities to vote. And so after the 2023 election, Uh, we realized that Republicans are averaging 20% of all statewide mail-in ballots. Let me say that one more time. Of all the mail-in ballots, when you look at them, 20 to 80 is the actual breakdown of Republican to Democrats on average. And so what we're doing, Rich, is very simple. We're going to put a whole team of people out there, about 100 to 120 paid activists. 
We're going to knock on 500,000 doors in the final 50 days, and our objective is to get that 20% number to jump up to 33%. We think that's how Dave McCormick becomes competitive. We think that's how Donald Trump becomes competitive, and that's how we think we win Pennsylvania again. This is a roadmap to winning Pennsylvania, which I'm telling you right now, Cliff, mark my words. I said this in 2020, said this in 2016. Whoever wins Pennsylvania wins the presidency. No doubt about it. I think Trump can win. And I love the fact that Dave McCormick does not have a contested primary. Everybody's rallying around him. So his, he's laser focused now on going after the lesser Casey, Bob Casey Jr. But let's let, let me ask you this question first and foremost, because somebody listening right now is going, I don't want to do mail-in ballots. We shouldn't have to do mail-in ballots. I, everybody should have to vote on Election Day. That's the way it should be, period. So my first answer to them would be I 100 percent agree. Right. A lot of people ask me, like, you know, Cliff, I feel like two years ago you were the guy saying vote on Election Day. That's right. Right. But I'm a former Pennsylvania math teacher. Rich. I'm here to tell you I've looked at the numbers and the numbers tell me that we cannot win unless we adapt to the rules. You know, you mentioned Dave McCormick. This is why I'm excited about Dave. He understands this. Right. His team is putting together an effort to get out there and get these folks to actually apply for these mail in ballots. And let me, let me talk to you about one important thing that you said. If people think you're just going to take election day voters and move them to become people that vote by mail, that's not going to change the outcome. And the Democrats have understood and utilized this for the last four cycles. Here's what we need to do. We need to play their game, which is we got to go out there and find out of the, let's say, 9 million registered voters that are expected to be in Pennsylvania in the 2024 election. Out of those 9 million, there are at least a million of what I would call low propensity, disengaged Republican voters. The Democrats did the same thing with Democrats. We have got to go out there, find those folks, get them to request a mail ballot. Because here's the thing. They're not going to show up on Election Day. As much as that's crazy for you and me and all of your listeners to hear, there are a million voters in Pennsylvania that aren't going to show up to vote on Election Day. But if they did send in the ballot, they're going to vote red up and down the ballot. That's the game we have to play. We've got to adapt to that. People like McCormick, Trump's team, they're all in on this. That's why I do think that Pennsylvania is in play, but we've got to match the Democrats with their tactics. Okay, so then I'll ask you this question. Is the Republican National Committee, now that uh, Ronna McDaniel's out, uh, thankfully, in my opinion, do you think, A, the Republican National Committee will give us the resources we need to be able to achieve this? Do you think the state Republican Party will give us the resources we need to achieve this? I think that Rana resigning slash kind of being forced out is probably the first breath of fresh air that I have felt Agreed. as a Republican in Pennsylvania in probably the last four years. I mean, just since these rule changes. And here's why. I don't know what the National Party is going to do. I don't know what the state party is going to do. But it shows that there is a change. It shows that there's a signal or at least the message being heard. And this is a message from the grassroots. This is a message. I mean, I was out turning point with Charlie Kirk and Tyler Boyer. These are people we're partnering with when it comes to the Pennsylvania chase. Folks like Scott Pressler doing the work on the ground with us in Pennsylvania. Their voices, our voices, the people, the blue collar voters, our voices are now being heard. And so I think it's an opportunity. I'm not excited. I'm not saying I'm, I'm thinking we're 100 percent all set and ready to go. 
But I do think that Rana's resignation shows we cannot continue to lose. We cannot continue to fail to adapt without there being some sort of blowback. So this presents a new opportunity that hopefully the state, the national party, all the grassroots groups can come together and say, listen, the rules that we want to have are not the rules. So what are the current rules? Let's play by the rules. Let's beat them at their own game. This shakeup at the RNC is a huge opportunity for every grassroots conservative, not just across the United States, but more importantly to me, right in my backyard in Pennsylvania. I love your enthusiasm, Cliff Maloney. I really do. I love your enthusiasm. PHA.com. How many you're looking to get now? I think what would you say? 150,000 activists motivated across the state. Is that right? So what we're trying to do is we will hire, this is what the left does. So we're matching them. This isn't some new secret sauce, right? We're going to hire a hundred to 150 full-time paid ballot chasers. 100 to 150, not thousand. I'm sorry. I said hundred. Right. Okay. But they're going to knock 500,000 doors targeting those low propensity disengaged folks that have requested a ballot. Now here's the other thing though, Rich, we need volunteers across the state. I mean, if people want to get involved, you know, yeah, we're going to have 100 to 150 that are paid, hardcore, round-the-clock folks, but we need volunteers. So any of your listeners out there that want to help us to talk to their neighbors, to use our data, to go out there and door knock and chase these ballots, go to PHase.com. You can sign up to volunteer. You can, you can apply to be a paid ballot chaser. But we need anyone with any type of conservative backbone in the state of Pennsylvania to go to phase.com, help us by supporting or funding a ballot chaser, help us by saying you want to volunteer. We really need everybody to come together. I don't care who gets credit. I'm just trying to save the country. You cannot save America. You can't win the White House unless you win Pennsylvania. And we think the Pennsylvania chase is the program to get it done. You know, I, I as I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about a couple of things right, right off the top of my head, which is that uh, I'm also guilty of being one of those guys that waits until election day to vote. And I was at the election. I think I got I think I got to my polling location three minutes before it closed and there was traffic. And had I missed that, had I got there at 802, I would have been out of luck. This is an advantage for all of us. We have to think about it in that context, too. Let's take advantage of this opportunity because we things come up, right? I mean, things come up on Election Day. You know, the kids get sick. You're, you have to work late. You're last minute. You have to go out of town. This is a good opportunity to take advantage of it. We both would love to have a situation where there can only be in-person balloting. I would love to be able to eat pizza every day of my life and not get fat. We have to live in the real world, not the world we want to create. We have to just <laughs> embrace reality, right, Cliff? We have to. And so what I, the other question I want to ask is this. How do we convince people on our side that they can trust that this is going to be okay? Because here's what I'm worried about. I'll tell you what I'm worried about, Cliff Maloney. It's this. Too often I hear people say, it doesn't matter, they're going to cheat, and we're going to lose. I heard that from somebody the other day who said, Rich, I used to listen to your show every day, but I stopped because I just believe that no matter what they do, it's going to be rigged, they're going to cheat, and that's the end of it. And I said, if you have that self-defeating attitude, then you're exactly right. We are going to lose. How do we convince people to, to shed that negative mindset, Cliff Maloney? Yeah, it's probably the toughest challenge we're going to face, Rich. And here's the thing I say to people. Politics is tough, right? It's a tough sport. And the problem I run into all the time is that Democrats push through it. And Republicans, unfortunately, 
make excuses. Now I'm not talking about the voters. I'm not talking about the activists, right? I'm talking about the leaders, right? This is why Republicans don't hire ballot chasers because it stinks. It's one of the worst gigs in the world. People want me to talk about it. Like it's this happy, you know, party and it's this easy gig. It's, it's terrible. You have people slamming their door in your face, but Democrats realize it's worth it to push through. So here's what has to happen. Yes, it's going to be difficult. Yes, we have to try to convince Republicans. But I always tell people, listen, if you think that they're tampering with your vote and you think that by you voting early, you're giving them more of an opportunity, if they're tampering with your vote, they're going to tamper with your vote. I don't want to tell anybody in Philadelphia or Allegheny counties not to vote. That's not what I'm saying, Rich, but here's what gives me When we look at our map across the state of Pennsylvania, you look at the entire Commonwealth, there are plenty of ballots in places that we trust those that are counting the ballots and our folks don't vote. So once again, I'm not saying we ignore Philadelphia. I'm not saying we ignore Pittsburgh or some of these other cities. But what I'm telling you is the reason everybody should have some optimism is it's not just those places that we would have to see some tremendous gains. It's not just there. There is so much opportunity. There's so much room for growth in all these other pockets that are huge, dense, red pockets throughout Pennsylvania. And so if you're in one of these tough counties, I mean, heck, if you're in Delco, where my entire family is, you might think, hey, it's run by Democrats. You know, submit your vote. Get your vote in because Dave McCormick, Donald Trump, the statewide offices are relying on you and the pockets of red votes that we are going to bank. We're going to turn them out through this mail-in ballot operation. That's how we all come together. And if we can keep that optimism and push through it a little bit, get rid of the defeatist mentality, I think we can actually win again. But it's going to be a challenge to get people to be okay with that mail-in ballot process. Cliff Maloney, PHA.com. Check out the website. Help this man out. This is the blueprint to win Pennsylvania in 2024. PHA.com. Cliff, thank you, buddy. We're going to have you back on again because we got to get this done. Your optimism, your enthusiasm, your energy is going to help us in a big way. Thank you, my friend. Rich, always appreciate you being a patriot. You all take care. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. 
Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.